Welcome to Oz Property Investors, where you're smart, no BS friends who tell you the most interesting stuff going on in property. Join your host, Jeff Miles, former mortgage broker and property developer, alongside Joe Tucker, Director of Property Principles Buyers Agency, as they interview some of Australia's top property experts and commentators, so we can all become better property investors together. And we are live. Welcome to the Oz Property Investors last live session for 2022. Welcome, everyone. Good to have you guys. Um, we have Aaron Wybrow and Grant. I don't know how to say your last name, Grant. <laughs> Mariel. That's completely fine. I never actually said it on any recordings or anything. So, but yeah. Oh, are you gentlemen? Like, First time. Absolutely brilliant. I'm actually surprised the poster wasn't like a die hard. Or something like that. Like for the yeah, oh, yeah. Actually, we missed yeah. an opportunity there. I think no, you got confused with Jeff singing before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, Mariah Carey, eat your heart out. Um, that's, right. that's what it's all about. No, today is all about the loaninator. Um, a bit of an interesting, a bit of an interesting topic there. Uh, but we have the one and only Aaron Wybrow of, uh, uh, and we also have Grant. Grant is a part of. Uh, What's the name of the business now? <laughs> You've changed so, it a couple of times. Yeah, we've changed it three times. So Bulls Pack. Is it Bulls Pack? No, it used to be. So uh, we've got two podcasts now. So Charlie Valher, who was previously on uh, Oz Property Investors, and myself have got yeah. a podcast called Business and Investing, which is generating wealth inside and outside your business. Uh, and we actually just came out with the second podcast, which is called Property and Investing, which is awesome. So we just obviously tailor that to property That's investors. Unreal. Awesome. So go ahead and subscribe to that one. It's going to be unreal. Grant um, has prepared so much for this session because we've got a really, really interesting topic to cover off. Um, so let's get to our quote of the week, guys. Have you got your quote of the week? Um, Aaron, we'll start with you. What have you got, mate? Cool. So I got a, I got a little quote. It says, when setting a long-term goal, find the pace necessary to achieve it. Um, and I feel like that's a really powerful quote for a property investor. Yeah. Mm. Why? Yeah. Why is it a powerful quote for a property investor? Because property is long-term goal. Um, banks give you a 30-year mortgage. Uh, things change in the market. We're, we're experiencing that now. So I, I, when you're investing in property, set a long-term goal. And then it's your pace that's necessary to achieve it in conjunction with everything else that's going on. So, um, yeah, I love goal setting. Uh, I love working through it with my clients. So, yeah, that's where I came from. I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. And, and I think that some people get a little bit too excited and jump straight into property investing straight away without that foundation of education. And then that's how they fall into traps and triggers of things where people say, hey, you know, buy this off the plan apartment because it's a cash flow positive investment. You can write all this stuff off on tax and they haven't done the groundwork to be able to say, actually, that's probably not the best investment for me. So it is hundred percent. What about you, Grant? What is your quote of the week? All right. So uh, actually I'll riff off Aaron's for a little bit. I actually like, there's one point that I just want to call out there, which is I find your pace necessary yeah. to achieve it. Cause everyone's like unique, <laughs> right? Like, you always hear about the people who have gone and bought like 10 investment properties in 12 months. And like, yeah, that's their pace, but your pace can be completely different. It's just, it is what it is. Um, yeah. So for myself, I won't say who's it from. 
until one second. So the quote goes, don't confuse luck with skill when judging others and especially when judging yourself. Now, this is from one of my idols, a gentleman called Carl Icahn. Now, Carl Icahn is a corporate raider. We won't judge him for that. He is a beast of all men. Uh, but the interesting thing that I like about it is if you actually look at a lot of investors who tout that they've been successful, most of the time it's been luck as opposed to skill. However, they will put it out there as if it was skill. And so this quote always brings me back to going, when I peel back the first layer, can I actually understand the skill? And is that transferable to someone like myself or someone like you, Joe, or yourself, Aaron, to go, is this applicable? Or did this guy just take a potluck and put all the money on red and won? So, yeah, this kind of quote has kind of come back to roost quite a few different times because I'm like, ah, that was just luck. I'm not going to take anything that you say and I will continue on my merry way. But Joe, what about yours? I like it, mate. Um, mine is from the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle. And uh, I just think like December and January is kind of all about goal setting. And, and uh, I think if you wait until January 1 to start your goals, you, you're behind the eight ball. You should be starting your goals straight away. If you've got an idea, write it down and go after it straight away. Don't wait until January 1 um, because this doesn't really, I don't think it works as well as if you just jump straight in. So the, the quote is, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. Um, and it's building habits that allow you to, you know, save for a deposit, right? Just, just starting out from the basics, but then a habit of picking up the book every single week to read it and picking up the podcast to listen to it on the drive home. All of these things, all these habits build upon and build upon to reach your goals. That's my little quote of the week. <clears throat> Especially if they're good habits as opposed to bad habits like scrolling. Instagram. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, another quote, actually, just to throw into that Instagram, I'm finding myself in a little TikTok hole every now and then. I don't know if you guys have fallen oh, no. down a couple of TikTok <laughs> holes, um, but on my TikTok hole journey, um, it came up a quote, um, procrastination is you just not being comfortable enough to sit in silence with your own thoughts. And it's like, that's an interesting one. If you are trying to, if you are just think, I like to actively think, am I trying to avoid something by jumping on TikTok or whatever it is? Um, that's my little second quote of the week. But we are going to introduce this man that we have in front of us, um, Mr. Aaron Wybrow. We're going to jump into our first uh, sponsored post and then we're going to dive straight in and make it happen. So let's do it. There you go. There's nothing worse than going into a situation unprepared, especially when that situation is purchasing one of the most expensive assets of your life against a trained property expert in the form of a real estate agent. It's a scary thought, but it is a skill that can be taught. Do you wanna learn how to become fully prepared when buying a property so you can get out there, buy your dream home or investment property without the fear of actually messing it up? Scott Agate, the founder and expert property negotiator at Hello House has been helping people buy their properties by stepping in and negotiating with the agents and saving his clients tens of thousands and in some cases hundreds of thousands of dollars. Scott has now decided to share all that he's learned over the past 28 years in real estate so you can go out there and do the exact same thing on how to find a property, analyze that property, negotiate on that property and transact on it to get the best results. He's created the Get Buyer Ready course, which is a step-by-step -step guide on how you too can become an expert property negotiator. 
It's the easy way of how you can avoid all of these agent games and get the best purchase price on that dream home or your investment property. The course is in short bites for busy people with no fluff at all. Just all the information you need to get buyer ready and secure that next property with confidence at the best price. Scott has been kind enough to give our community a massive discount with the link below. Sign up today before you even think about putting an offer on that next property and it will be one of the best decisions you ever make. There we that go. Voiceover is nice. <laughs> I tried. Tried. <laughs> Let's do it. Grant, we're going to give you the honors of introducing the man, the myth, the legend, Aaron Wybrow, because I think you're going to nail it. Awesome. All right. So, Aaron, I don't know if you know, he's got children, Lucinda, Cassandra, and Sam. Just putting it out there. Just We've got to create this humanized yeah. element of Aaron. He's a family man. Uh, well, Aaron's actually from Diagnostics and Finance. Uh, I, I'm not going to just call them mortgage brokers. They're actually more like lending specialists, right? Whenever I've got a curly... Uh, borrowing problem i kind of just ping aaron and i'm just like hey aaron uh do you reckon we can borrow this money for another property um and that's kind of where i look at him as a bit of a problem solver when it comes to lending uh and he's just been around at the bend quite a few different times um where i would argue that you've worked with quite a few more property investors specifically uh than quite a lot of others so it's absolutely awesome having you on now, and it actually is perfect for the topic that we're actually going to be jumping into today, which is the strategies to finance your property investment goals in 2023. Now, for me, um, I am a property investor. I do have properties myself, and I'm looking at the current landscape a little bit on edge going, well, in 2023, is someone going to pull the rug on me again? Like, I came into 2022 with the greatest <laughs> influencer in Australia, big bad Philip Lowe, sitting there saying, Ain't no one going to increase interest rates until 2024. I'm sitting there going, no this is going to be peachy. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> However, uh, it was something different. And so now I'm looking at, in the uh, binoculars of 2023 going, well, how do I just play this? What are we seeing already coming through? And as a property investor, what are the strategies that I should be thinking about deploying now? Because I kind of need to be ahead of the game before I start trying to execute on anything. And so this topic is going to sort of bring in things that we know, maybe a little bit of speculation, not financial advice, just a little bit of speculation because we can. Um, and who better to guide us through it than Aaron. So one of the very first things that I did want to dive into, by the way, Aaron, I don't know if you've heard about this fun little thing called a fixed interest rate on mortgages oh, and how during this pandemic event, everybody decided to go and get fixed interest rates because what well, borrowing was basically like 0%. <laughs> and when you get a fixed interest rate, like I did, I was one of those people in, I think it would have been 2021, bought an investment property, locked in at my 2.65%. Thank you very much. Sitting here, home is hosed, going, this is fine and dandy. However, in 12 months, it's going to be wiped clean. And I'm sitting there going, what's the best way to do this? How, how do I go about it? So uh, one of my first questions is, do you just want to tell everybody a little bit about uh, this whole concept of what, what they're hearing on the news around a fixed rate mortgage cliff? A cliff. A cliff. A cliff. F fixed rates are a very interesting topic. Um, I, I, I sit on the fence where people come to me and ask for a fixed rate. And during the last couple of years of fixed rates nearly climbing up to equal 50-50 of the new lending, 50% fixed and 50% variable of the lending market in the last couple of years. One of the things they were asking is, are the rates going to go down further? Should I lock in now? 
and they were looking to play the market. But as a mortgage broker, one of the things around fixed rates, fixed rates are designed to give you clarity and certainty of your repayment in light of the variability nature mm -hmm. of the variable rate. So the undertone that sometimes the clients come in for is, can we play the market? Can we play the market? Well, actually, everyone that's got a fixed rate in the last two years is actually playing the market right now. It's doing exactly what it was meant to do in light of the variable rate increasing. So th that would be my first point on the market one. But as a broker, most people choose a fixed rate due to certainty of their repayment and budgetary considerations of their family. Um, that, that keeps everyone out of trouble. With the fixed rates, we've never seen the rates so low before in the last couple of years. It's never been that low. And in face of all the, the strife that um, the last couple of years gave us, it, it started stirring up people to look at their rates and look at their, their mortgages and look at everything. So fixed rates are a fixed period of time. They will run out at some point in time, hopefully after a little bit of extra stability. Um, I've seen that if you look at the fixed rates on the variable and the three-year fixed rate over a period of time, they're similar to each other. So it is a, an interesting play for, for the market out there at the moment for what's happening. Um, will it, will it, most of the time I'm finding clients calling me up 12 months in advance, well in advance and looking at what they can do to prepare themselves when this fixed rate comes off. Mm. And if you are a fixed rate holder, please get in contact with your broker, bank, um, have a look at your budget, make sure that you are prepared for what's coming ahead uh, in light of things. Yeah. Before, before we dive into that one though, yeah, because I, I do want some financial advice, but not financial advice. Yeah, I'm go ask for it. You your situation. Oh, yes. So, cool. <laughs> so I'm going to like twist <laughs> it around. I'm curious, if I'm a big four bank or a second tier lender or a third tier lender, aka loan sharks, no, I'm just joking, they're fine. Uh, <laughs> looking at this thing, is this a woohoo? I'm going to double my profits based on everybody coming off these 2% and rolling into, you know, I've seen interest rates up to like 7% at the moment, even up to 8%. Um, yeah. Are they sitting there celebrating because all these massive fixed rates are disappearing or are they sitting there going, hmm, this is the time where people are probably going to refinance and disappear. So maybe we should, maybe, I've never seen them do this before, but maybe we should give some TLC to customers and maybe help them roll off this thing. Now that might be me hoping for something that's never going to happen. Like, how are they looking at this? And then how does that reflect back into like property investors? So th this is, um, banks are better to retain you than to let you go. Um, you're, you're also, if you're not needing any more money, you're better off staying with the lender if you can, because the entry costs that you went in, whether it's a minor application fee through to something a little bit more um, bigger, and then the, the, the government and discharge fees, even though they're, fairly small, those can um, add up to suck up the savings that you might get when you move to another bank. The banks don't want to lose customers. The problem they are facing is that when the rates go up, they go up off what the customer was currently at, which may not be what the new customers are getting coming into the bank or what is advertised on their website. Um, an example of a customer that came to me wanting to see if they get a better rate, they're at 5.6 on their own home. And without question, the bank reduced it to 4.45 prior to the last rate rise, without question. So the banks are seeing a high volume of um, uh, pricing come through the, through the industry and through the, the, the area. And the banks that are doing really well are the ones that have got the technological computers says, yes, I'm going to give you a pricing. 
versus the banks that are starting that have to have a person behind it to go, yep, I can do that. Yep, I can do that. And the ones with the people behind it, we're finding that they're blowing out in time and that may not allow the client um, the, the feasibility to stay with them so they want their better rate. Um, and the ones that have computer says yes or things like that, there's still some grease in the oils that we need to do to get the rate down with um, even if it's a, a threat to leave or something like that. Um, but it is always better for a bank to retain you. And what we're finding is when I first started mortgage broking, one of the major banks was only giving me 1.1, 1.2 off the standard variable rate. And now we're seeing 2.99s to, to nearly three off the standard variable rate. So they are wanting to keep clients. Um, up until recently, one of the major banks was paying customers to stay and cancel their discharge. So yes, they, they want to retain where they can. Yeah. But we are seeing some time delays, but we are also seeing comp competition with the other lenders in the second tier area or people that don't need branches or, or they're all online and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, so they want to retain. Uh, but from a broker's point of view, uh, we are getting busier. Uh, the external refinances for owner-occupied and the external refinances of investor loans are much higher than maintaining inside the um, like doing internal refinances with the bank they're currently at. Yeah. Okay. Well, one thing that you just mentioned is the kind of low cost lenders um, and they're kind of, they're more tech based. So they don't have, uh, you know, branches that you can just walk into. Are they going to be like, is there a real winner to this? Who are the, the real winners? Is it the, the big four? Is it the main banks or is it these other these other lenders? I mean, it doesn't feel like it's the property investor, that's for sure. But who's the winner? <laughs> Rates are going up. Um, the, the conversation I had with a customer saying that my, my home loan's gone up and I'm paying $1,000 more a month than I was when it first started. And I said, mate, I'm in the same club. Um, I'm, I'm not a, I'm a home loan holder myself. So they're, they're going to go up, but how far they go up and how you can cushion yourself by having some interest rate deductions along the way is the, the, the way to manage this is to keep it as low as possible and ask them until they say no. <laughs> um, just quick, quick note on um, some of the things we're saying here. There is, this is, this is the disclaimer. None of this is personal financial advice. We are not financial advisors. You could seek independent financial, legal taxation, and other advice, check with your relevant people because, uh, it's very easy to touch on uh, <laughs> the financial advice size of things, but that is not what this is. This is just general information about mortgages and rates. Um, yeah. And let's face it, we're three people talking into microphones and webcams. Like, I got no idea the, <laughs> anyone else on the other side of this thing, so I don't know your situation. <laughs> but I will say, um, let's not give the big four banks or even banks in general, like, a, let's not give them a hard go. Aaron, I did get a letter from my big four bank and I won't name which one because I just don't want to be their marketing arm. They sent me a letter and said, I can now break out of my fixed rate interest rate mortgage for free. Oh, wow. Just, how kind cool. of them. Your 2.2. My 2.6 fixed interest rate. I will, they will allow oh, me to now swap out without the fee that they originally put it in. <sighs> Talk about banks being generous. I was wrapped. Like, is there anything that we're actually? Is there anything else that we're seeing proactively from the big four banks uh, in the lead up to this cliff? 
Um, a couple of things that I've seen on the back end, and and to give you the insight in the back end, we've we with the pricing tools that we have available to us, and they're starting to allow us to put in a, um, when a client comes to us, comes in to look at their loans to refinance, and we get their account number. Some of the um, big four banks are allowing us to put the account number in and they'll search all their home loan lending accounts and make it a bit easier to get pricing requests because they're getting, they're getting bombarded. So they had to make it a bit easier. So we've got a couple of we banks that are really power. ninja at that. <laughs> yep. Um, it's very interesting. They're uh, offering you to break your rate. I, I don't think that would be in your best interest. And, and one of the things banks don't have is the best interest duties that mortgage brokers have. So we have to act in your interest. They don't. Um, but yeah, very kind to, um, have no break costs, but that's quite common in the industry. If you look at break costs, like if you have a lower fixed rate than the current fixed rates that are offered, typically speaking, there's, there's not going to be a fee to get out. It's the other way around. That's been the problem for the last 10 years, where if you've had a high rate than what they're currently offering, we can see break costs. And that's the, that's the doom and gloom where we've seen break costs, where people have taken out say 10 year fixed rates back, back in the day. And then they had were facing down a 70, 80 grand break cost. So it's mm. it's all the funding wow. behind the scenes there. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations, Grant. You've got a great I'm great offer. It. I'm, I'm gonna put it frame it. Frame it. Yeah, up. Exactly. <laughs> this is great. All right. Wait until they question, wait right? until they start to drop, then then pull the paper out and say, Okay, now I'm ready. <laughs> hey, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, so I'm asking for a friend, Aaron. This is not cool. me, and I'm not requesting for personal advice. There is a fictitious person. Let's call him Ant Murr. So Ant Murr has got a fixed-rate mortgage that is finishing in 12 months, and he's wondering, how, do, how does he approach this? Does he ping his mortgage broker three months before, six months before, nine months before, the day that it's going to go off the cliff? Should he not? Should he kind of just wait to see if it just rolls off and the bank offers them something good? Is there like a play that every property mm. investor should be doing if they're coming up against it? Because just in case anyone doesn't know, like a th approximately a third of the mortgages currently out there are, are fixed mortgages and approximately two thirds of them are meant to be expiring or falling off the cliff in 2023, the calendar year yeah. of 2023. And also, just to add on to that, um, it, do you think it's actually going to be hell hell and high water where it's just a third is going to absolutely tank stuff? It's going to be the worst thing to happen since something bad happening? Like, is this is this what it is? Or is it just something that's going to gradually change and come off and, and people are going to adjust? Like, what does it look like for you? It, preparation always prevents piss poor performance. So... Um, we've got, you've got the luxury of 12 months of having the rate where it is. So Mr. Fictitious Client is needing to just <laughs> use that whole period of time to build up, build up their cash reserves. Um, I, I, a lot of the investors that I, I talk to and we put in, once we get up to sort of the, 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 the four or five property area or even, um, some of the, um, the engineers that I look after, they'll, they'll have a couple of different spreadsheets where they have their current rates and their actual repayments, the actual rent coming in. And then we, we get another uh, cost analysis spreadsheet where if it comes off and where it goes 6%, 7%, where is the cost, where is the cost benefit to the portfolio? 
Um, and can we start packing away the, what we think the variable rate is going to be right now? That could be a, a calculation strategy. It's going to be 6%. You're paying 2.6 at the moment. That's another grand. I can just whack into the offset account and start preparing right now. Um, other things that we can do to, to prepare is making sure that um, the other factors that are outside of our, uh, in our control that are outside the lending. So we can obviously, when the time comes, don't take the accept, don't take this, the, the rate they're going to advise you at the time because it's usually the standard variable rate. It's usually higher than what you can get when you are a new customer to the bank. Um, okay. So that's in the future. Right now, is your rent in line with where it should be? So making sure your rents are up. So some, some states and territories, can't, you can't raise your rent way too much. But if you stay in line with the, the rental increases, that can help buffer and cushion where we're coming up to. Um, is there other things that you can do the property to increase rent? Um, negotiating on other fees and things that may be inside your um, investment property. What's your income doing? What's the variability in your personal situation? So um, I describe it like this. If you're a self-employed person, is there ways that you can bolster your income up to help maybe refinance when it comes up? Look at what you can do with increasing cash reserves. If you're, PR, if you're an employee, um, some, some of the employees that I look after, they've had some bonuses coming back into play, pay rises coming in. Um, any of that stuff is going to increase the ability to either have the choice to refinance if you wish to, um, accommodate the new rate as you're going to, whether you refinance or not, um, and move forward on that part. If you're going to be on the fixed, uh, more of a fixed income and things, and you need to sort of mitigate the, the worst case, um, you please do so earlier than later so you can um, make sure that you're not going to have any wipeout events or anything like that because your investment portfolio is not as valuable as you. <laughs> um, reduce expenses, consolidate debt, put more cash in the offset account. Those, those will be my, my big ones. And, and 12 months out, great amount of time, even more if better. The, the best way, get in touch with your um, mortgage broker, get in touch with if your financial planner as well. Um, your accountant as well, and any combination mm. of those, especially if you're self-employed, you might need a combination of those. If you're multi-property stuff, let's let's get that. What, where is where is the problem going to be when you sensitize the interest rate out a lot more to be able to accommodate what's coming? So yeah, so I understand it correctly. Good the two, yeah, the two potential problems are like the first one is the cash flow on the investment property not being able to service the new loan right once it rolls off the fixed interest rates. Is there another risk where if you roll off and we know that property prices recently have been a little bit volatile, like, is there a risk around them reassessing or if you were to try and go refinance with another bank, like, is there any part of what you've just shared that is a, sort of a risk mitigation piece or is it more, Hey, here are some things to just increase cash flow on a property because this thing's going to cost you more than what it was before. Um, Residential lending does have a lot more control and protections in place. So they don't usually come to revalue your property after the fixed rate expires. Now, other type of lending um, probably would, like in the commercial space, depending on the loan type you get, they, they may come and review you and a whole range of things may pop up on that. But in the generally speaking, if we're talking investors in the residential space, they don't typically review. So you would roll off your, if you were just going to stay with them, you'd roll off your fixed rate you would um, get the discounts you need. Everything's hunky-dory with your, your cash flow. The value, for example, might change below the loan amount that you have, which I've seen in some towns and some areas and some clients to help out. Um, and that was 
even within the last two years when the interest rates were low. So it, it doesn't change whether rates are up or down. There's always people that need some help in that space. Um, they won't come and review it. Now, if you are in a bit of a, a bind with your property, say, for example, cross-securitization with your owner-occupied property, um, mm. that's going to potentially have an impact on your lending when you put a discharge in the equity you thought you had, you may not have anymore because of the alteration of the valuations. So if you're thinking of yeah. planning of upgrading your owner-occupied um, and you don't know whether you're cross-securitized or not, that's going to be another plan you're going to have to be mindful of too so not to give the big doom and gloom that 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 is probably the doom and gloom that your um your your loan to value ratio becomes less like your loan becomes higher than the value of the property but what i'm seeing generally in the market just to give the positive spin is if you bought your property like two or three years ago it was a lot lower than the values today and even even if it drops off a bit it's still going to have some sort of positive spin um especially if you've been advised really well by having the right team around you, buyers, agents, things like that, that can people like that, that can find your, or, or like Joe, that can find the right property for you. That's not going to, 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 to wipe you out. Um, how much deposit you put in there? What's your loan to value ratio? So people that have put their 20% plus costs in, if it drops a little bit and then it, then your loans pay down a little bit and your income's up a little bit, you still may have some good options there. And if you've got more than one property, with a good amount of um, uh, less lending and more um, more equity, you're going to have more options going forward. Yeah. 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 Because we've had an absolute tear over the last two years. Prices have gone up 20, 30, 40%. So if it comes back a little bit, it's not going to be a major effect on your, on your equity side of things. But one thing I'm actually doing, so I come off um, fixed rates in July and then later on in the year for, for the others. Um, but what I'm doing is just, okay, we're at 2.6 now. Um, I'm just going to pay and pretend that I'm at 5.5. So all I'm doing is just bulking up the amount of money that I pay into my offset and just keep paying the, the 2.6 amount plus the other. And then when that time rolls around, it, it comes off. It's like, oh, well, nothing changes. Everything remains exactly the same because I'm just keeping on um, at that. So I just keep it that simple. Um, I don't know if that's that's any it's, anyone else it's, is going to get that. That's it's pretty simple, but you just remember, yeah, um, you have a the having a chat advice. to the account, yeah, have, having a chat to your accountant and things about the extra payments and making sure you store those extra payments in the right spot. So let your um, let your loan do its thing, um, and look for those um, offset accounts to put your extra payments into. Um, that would be six percent, for example so that you um, have your options with your lending and things, depending on whether you have combined owner-occupied to invest the land as well. So, um, yeah. yeah. I've got a question for you, Aaron. So mm. I've looked at the chart, and I, I suspect it's the new mortgages chart. Over the, we'll call it the pandemic time, just so this doesn't sort of get blocked on <laughs> Facebook. Why not? Sure. Uh, so prior to that, it was approximately about 10% were fixed mortgages and 90% were variable mortgages. Then going through that enjoyable era of about two years, the statistics were literally, it was like 55% variable and like 45% fixed for almost like two years. And now it's kind of bounced back out to be the same deviation again, where it's like 10% uh, fixed and 90% variable. <clears throat> 
is that now at a normal rate or have we overcorrected or and it was wrong prior to the pandemic like what is usually a decent ish mix for sort of new mortgages kind of coming in because i care about looking at this statistic to go well what are other people doing in this market but the second part of that is i'm looking at if this is only for new mortgages those <clears throat> two years you had 45 percent of new mortgages rolling into <laughs> fixed interest rates holy smokes who were those people that were buying properties right and first home buyers and all those kind of people kind of sit into it so I'm, I'm curious a little bit more if you know the stats or the, any of the data that kind of comes in and any observations that you've had so i suppose it's a, it's got that difficulty where you have the lowest interest rates on record coming in so i i looked at the same graph and it was like this whole spread um it was that it was spread and then it became thin and now it's going back out again so the, the rates didn't really change until sort of that June 2020 mark. So there was about 35% of new lending around the, the fixed rate mark. Uh, no, not 15%. March 2020. Um, hang on a minute. M March 2020, we were just under around that, that 15% through to June 2020, 15% of all new mortgages being fixed. 30, 30%, 35% 30 coming in there and then peaking around the July, September 2021 where 45% of all the mortgages were getting fixed. Now it's really dropped to less than 5% now around the July 2022. Yeah, so yeah. Um, wow. I don't think, I think it's gone to the extreme. So it's very hard to say, is this normal? <laughs> it's, it's hard to say this is normal, but I know most, a lot of the lending that I'm doing at the moment is all variable. There's very little... Uh, it's probably right, even in my firm, that um, it's very little being taken up as fixed rates. Uh, mm. Where's the mix? Um, in during the uh, last couple of years, there's been even they were offering one, two, three, four, and five year fixed rates at the same rate. So mm. there, obviously, to your point, Grant, where you got like a third, two thirds coming off, that last third may still be going for another another three three years before they come off. So because they were offering okay. the same rate. But we we had a mentality. Most of most of the competitive nature of the banks are sitting in that three year fixed mark. Some in the two year fixed mark. So uh, I think we were attuned to taking the two or the three year fixed rate, which is mm -hmm. where we're, we're seeing now. But no one has a crystal ball to see that. Um, even our our big finfluencer that you mentioned at the beginning of the show, we didn't see the crystal ball coming out. Um, that rates would change. And then we have rates increasing in December at the same time Christmas spending goes on. So it's a really interesting market. I've seen fixed rates come off on some of the, some of the tier two lenders. Some lenders aren't passing on the full amount. Some are over, overachievers on the, on the rate increases. So it's really, uh, it's, well, I would professionally say it's now individualization to the client actually buying the property, actually buying the next one and how it works for you. And that's only because the market's got a little bit interesting and confusion out there. Um, but how yeah, how do you do the extremes there? How do you do the extremes? I love how you politely put it. Like overachievers on passing on interest rate increases. <laughs> well, I was trying to match yeah, your yeah. um your Thanks. your letter that you had from from a, Thanks, from the uh, from the bank. Yeah. So, so what I'm getting from that is a third of the, the loans, yes, there are a third of the loans that are on fixed rates, but they're not all going to end July 1, um, 2022. It's going to be 2022, 2023, 2024. It's going to be a gradual release over a, over a period yeah. of maybe three to four years. 
Um, and then we're not going to see many fixed rates based on a 5% application. Um, but why would people, like, why are people not taking um, fixed rates uh, as an option? Like, it, it, I mean, you give out advice to individual client circumstances. Can you think of a reason why uh, Aunt um, Meryl, you wouldn't give him or her... <laughs> Uh, why would you say, you know what, I don't think fixed rates for you or how, how would that kind of look? Um, as a mortgage broker, we prevent, we provide options to the client. So we will filter, well, yeah, I will filter what's your client circumstances, what's the policies that fit that and what are the set of lenders that are going to fit, fit that model. And those set of lenders are going to um, have different fixed rates and different variable rates. So obviously we've got to fit the policy um, of the bank first, and then it's an option provided to the to the client. Now, we can get a little bit more complicated in the serviceability calculators about what's affordable. So where we look at a floating rate of 3% for the buffer of the bank, so we get a, a 5% interest rate, now they're assessing at 8, and we get a fixed rate and say it's 6, um, they usually have a behind-the-scenes um, revert rate but it, let's take it simple. If you are borrow, going to the bank and borrowing at 5% and getting assessed at 8, um, we'll take a simple calculation. Just say the fixed rate plus 3% is now 9. Your borrowing capacity could be limited as well. Um, so that's an interesting point to take into account. The other one is um, a lot of people are seeing that uh, we like cheap things. So when you present a fixed rate to a variable rate, um, I don't know who wants to pay a percent more right now. And there is... Also, when we have sensationalization in the media related to fixed rates and things falling off cliffs and stuff, you've got to put it in perspective. Like, will it be up that long? Will it go higher? Maybe, maybe not. Um, do you want to take, take, take the reverse preparation? Like, if your fixed rate's coming off, what if your variable rate's going to go up? Are you putting away money? If you're paying 5% now and you're going to go to 6 are you putting away money as if it was 6 into your offset account? Uh, even on the variable rate. Um, if you can afford, if the bank tells you you can afford 8% and you're paying 5%, where are you putting another 3%? If the banks mm. are that conservative, where are you putting the other 3%? Just simple mathematical calculations. Every person's circumstance is different and every, every desire for a property investor to put their principal, if they're even on interest only, which is another conundrum of fixed and interest only, because usually those terms match themselves and coming off that can, can change a whole range of calculations and whether yeah. you can get it back or not. So that's, a, that's another one. So where are you putting, if you're on interest only, where are you putting your principal that you would normally pay on the investment property? Are you putting off your owner-occupied? Are you putting it in your offset accounts? Are you desiring to pay this property off versus that? So there's a whole range of other things that come into that mix. Yeah, well, one of the what things if- that um, I see is some, some of the banks changing their policy to make, like to, to kind of hamper the difference, right? Interest rates are rising. People are getting a little bit scared. They might not want to borrow as much, but then... Some banks, I can't remember which bank it was. I think it may have been Westpac. Um, they dropped their how they assess your rental income. So, are there any other policies that you're seeing that are favouring property investors to maybe make it easier to? Because I mean, at the end of the day, banks want to lend money. They want to give people money. Um, they want to lend it out so they can get a take a clip of the ticket. Um, are you seeing any policies shifting and changing? Well, that, the one that you mentioned is the one that has changed, but did it change because of inflation or anything else or did it change because 
rental properties are scarce and there's lower vacancy. Um, so what we're talking about is the rental change where the buffer of the bank was take uh-huh. if you had $100 a week in rent and they would only assess you on $80 a week in rent. And then what lenders would do is they'd look at your, um, depending on what where you are in your investment cycle, they might look at your individual tax return and look at your expenses minus the interest minus the capital deductions and find what your actual rental costs are and then deduct put that on as an expense as well over and above the 80%. So what what the this particular what your what Westpac did is um, and a couple of others is went to using ninety percent of your rent versus eighty percent. So that's that's a nice little positive windfall. Um, depending on how many properties you have, that could equate to a nice amount of money thrown back on the table for your borrowing circumstances. Now all the other buffers still remained. There was still um, investigation in property expenses. Um, you talked about your off the plan unit block or what if it was the unit that's on the 40th floor with pools, spas, saunas, underground car park, multiple lifts that your strata fees are just skyrocketing as well. So you could get rent in of $300, but you're, you're paying way more out because you've got all your other expenses. So that property is um, on the Bellarine calculators less too. So are yeah. we seeing other, other things? Um, we're only seeing in the, different, um, in the differing lenders from, say, the majors, uh, we're seeing that some lenders are still doing 2%, 2% buffers. Some people, how they look at existing debt or other people's debt on the calculator is still a big thing to help borrowers keep borrowing. Um, and then looking at how they treat a whole range of other structures that are out there to, to continue borrowing. So not much has changed uh, too much there just yet, but I think right. they're, they're, if we want to get speculative, I'm not a regulator. So um, I feel like if the banks want to continue borrow lending there's there's going to have to be some sort of sort of mechanism of change or or not we might want to they they might want to crush it a little bit more and see what happens what would that be what would that what do you like crystal ball what 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 are some of the things that you think would be a smart move for the banks well the things being thrown around maybe they'll reduce the buffer from three to two percent um uh, but I, I'm not seeing any communication related to that. There's been some other, they might get other things around some of the mechanisms of borrowing more than 80%. They they are looking at the first home buyer market a lot coming up in the next few months. So um, I'm not sure whether if, if we stimulate the market in the first home buyer area, what that'll do to property prices. So that might actually fix the, the valuation potentiality of what we talked about before because we've got a lot more first home buyers and the government's throwing going to own 30 percent of your house how that's going to help with valuations for the property investor so i don't think there's going to be too i haven't seen anything on the horizon related to too much on the on the lender lender basis um there's always lenders out there asking for feedback and we're providing feedback to them all the time and there's always new lenders coming out so we'll watch this space um the the peer-to-peer lending space is quite an interesting area where they get a lot more control on 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 lending space don't take don't take the future points though we're going to cover that soon and by by the way you can just imagine the feedback forms which is like lower interest rates lower interest rates uh what is it quicker approval time um actual settlement on the day of settlement like Dude, I could just imagine. I, I can fill out these forms for you, Aaron. Anytime you want to go yeah. do a bank feedback form, send it to me. I'll do it for you. I'm happy. <laughs> oh, I, I think I think you're right. They've done a lot of lot of tech work in the in the last couple of years too, because they couldn't <laughs> see anyone. <laughs> but yeah, if you, hey, I've got a pile of go. I've got a pile of them over here for you. Dude, I'm, I'm down. I was same yeah. thing on all of them. Um, one of the things that uh, Ant Mer is thinking about <laughs> when in 12 months' time, when it, there. Uh, fixed rate 
what just sort of rolls up is this concept like so that individual would have owned that property for i think it was like a four-year interest only period right at that time they're probably going to go for a refinance probably with a different lender because i suspect that they believe that the bank is not going to do them a solid yes <laughs> so i uh, just i'm not 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 poo-poo in any banks, just suggesting that, can we get a better client? <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll call my mum and I'll tell her. And I'll just like, <laughs> you know, the, the abbreviation of my name's it's terrible. Like, it's, like um, yeah, it's, it's like Scrabble here. <laughs> the mummy man. Uh, so the, the, the thing that I've got is, so I'm four years into a 30-year mortgage, right? And I'll just use myself in this. When I go for a refinance, I'm going to be kickstarting it all again. I'm going to go back to like a 30-year refinance, like another 30-year mortgage. Is like so how why would you... does someone like me play that, or like can I refinance to another bank with a shorter mortgage, like, or is this where the banks are sitting there licking their lips, going, "Oh yeah, come back and roll." <laughs> we just made a couple of years worth of cash, and now we're going to make another thirty years of cash. It's not a first point to try to reset someone's mortgage loan limit. So we've, as a broker, we've got to look at seeing if we can main, if we're not doing any more money, it depends on the overall goal. So we'll rewind that. It depends on the overall goal. If you're looking to get the next investment property, you're using equity, you're using all the stuff and you're, you're, you're pushing, pushing the serviceability out on your current loan terms, you're, you've got another mechanism that you can pull by resetting the loan term. And, and sometimes that's worth it and sometimes that's not. Um, and there's another concept about talking about how some of the easy refinances that have come onto the, t- onto the table without needing to look at serviceability too much, but they would want you to keep your current loan term. So you can keep your current loan term. The Taking your 26-year mortgage and if you wanted to go to another five years interest only, you would take your 26 minus the five years. So you would have to prove your borrowing capacity over 21 if you wanted interest only back. If you wanted principal and interest, um, you would service over the 26 years. And if the rates went up that high that you couldn't achieve the 26-year mortgage, you would then go back. You could have the option to go back to the 30-year mortgage. But if you have the cash reserves to continue paying the 26-year mortgage, go, go nuts. Let the bank not have control over you past the minimum repayment. Should they pocket the cash that you've done in the last couple of years? Well, that's probably the cost of having the property. But um, what is the next goal is going to be the question that I would ask. Yeah, that's fair. I'll, uh, I'll pass on the message. Now, before I change to the next <laughs> subject and the next point, <laughs> this guy's really appreciative. Um, <laughs> com- comic Pool Relief, have you actually received a fixed rate application recently? Has there, is there anyone out there that's like, Aaron, you know what? I, I feel this is going to continue going up. Give me a fixed rate. The closest we get is they ask and then we show them the numbers and they don't like it. Um, to, to probably in the team. So I, I run a team with uh, four other brokers, um, soon to be five. And um, they, that one of them's done a fixed rate and probably settled in the last couple of months but what they did is they got that fixed rate locked about three months before that so um there that particular fixed rate's got a little bit of strategy behind it because you could it was it was going up and up and up and up so um, people were doing this funky thing called rate lock for holding their 
fixed rate for at least 90 days to settle um, so that they the, at the time of settlement, they didn't weren't sort of pushed around and had to go to the current fixed rate, which could have been another 1% higher. So yeah, I always, not, I always thought totally. that like, that was like a little bank scam that they give you when you get your loan, you're like, I'm just about to buy this property. I'm about to sign the loan documents. And they're like, Hey, for 500 bucks or 800 bucks, you can fix this loan and we'll guarantee that you get it. Um, but it turns out now it's probably, <laughs> it turned out to be it's a pretty like good idea at the time. It's the insurance <clears throat> bar on blackjack table. Like <laughs> that's what it is. Like, do you want to bet on everyone else having pairs or the insurance bar though? <laughs> I love it. Uh, but you can see it, like if you see over time, like if you go hindsight, it's really cool. Like should you have taken a fixed rate lock if you did in the last 10 years prior to this um, increase? Well, probably not. Should you have taken a rate lock out uh, uh, within the last 90 days? Well, there, there's probably a, a case and a number analysis to do on that. So, yeah, very, very interesting um, little mm -hmm. policy at market. And, and then we're supposed to look at the client and say, well, if you want a fixed rate, it's for budgetary or or certainty of repayments in the future metrics. Yeah. Very okay. interesting. I've got, there's a question that's popped up here. It says, um, and I'd like to, I just kind of preface this. It would be great to get a bit of an understanding of the difference between an offset account and a redraw account. Mm. Um, but it says here, if you've got a large chunk of change sitting in your mortgage available to redraw, is there a chance of that money being locked up by the banks if they are feeling touchy? So I imagine, um, that you might have a higher LVR, right? You've been lent, you lent at 90%. And the, if the prices drop only by a little bit, that's going to send you into negative equity. Um, is there a risk of it? Is this a risk having it sit into the uh, the mortgage instead of the offset? So can you give us um, mm. a high level overview of what the difference between an offset and a redraw is? And I know this is probably uh, basic stuff, but I don't think everyone knows the difference. Um, Fair question. Well, can I give the 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 sort of the shock story that came out in the last couple of years from one of the lenders? They <laughs> oh, actually right, locked locked up people's redraw, and then due to a bit of pressure, they uh, reinstated it. So um, very very interesting. If you want to unpack that, there was a particular second tier lender that's now gobbled up by another second tier lender that resides in a Sunshine Coast. Um, so the <laughs> I feel like that's an inside broker as bad joke. As my client name, yeah. like this yeah, is yeah. terrible. <laughs> <laughs> redraw, redraw is when you, if you pay, a th I just use round numbers. If you pay a thousand, if your contracted payments a thousand bucks a month to your mortgage, and you pay two thousand dollars, that means there's a thousand dollars over and above your current payment that you can redraw back. Okay, so typically redraw is more commonly on your owner-occupied property because when you put money in and you save interest and you draw it back out, say your um, hot water, uh, new stove, new vacuum plant, wh whatever the, the case is that you're doing, hopefully it's on improving the house, um, that, that's cool. Um, there's no, no taxation things. There's no other things that come into that metrics. But when you use redraw on an investment property and you put money in and you pull it out, that is something that you probably have to consult your um, accountant on related to what you use those funds for. Offset account is a bank account. It's separate to your mortgage, totally separate. It's a bank account under the bank account um, guidelines and policies and stuff. And the bank allows you to have this um, link to from that bank account to the mortgage. So if you owe $100,000 and you have $100,000 in your, in your offset account, you don't pay any interest on that $100,000. 
Now, your mortgage hasn't gone down a cent. You're just not mm-hmm. paying the interest. If you use your offset account to um, go, go and get a, a highly inflated Macca's ice cream from the 30 cent cone that I remember it, um, you're not going to be, uh, it's, it's used for purposes of personal purposes, but your mortgage hasn't changed but you now are paying interest on that, that soft serve that you just consumed. How much is a soft serve now? Oh, isn't it like a dollar or something? Oh, it's outrageous. Like, so like, what you're saying is with a cone with a, with a flake. <laughs> <laughs> so if you've got $10,000 extra in your, in your redraw, um, that's offsetting the mortgage in a way Correct. because it's in the redraw. And then you've got an offset account, which has um, $10,000 and that's offsetting the, the mortgage. Yep. The difference is one is actually a bank account that you can easily dip in and out of yourself. Literally, you could go to the ATM if you had yep. a high enough limit and pull all of that money out. But with a redraw, how do we get access to our funds? Like yeah, how does- so, so, yeah, the bank account, you can have a card depending on the bank, all that nice stuff. Um, and with your redraw, you typically, in, in the main, most people would remove it from their um, home loan into a bank account to then access the funds. Um, or, or move it into their offset account. So it depends on the strategy setup that you've got. Um, some, I ha- some banks' policies may, if you dig into them deep enough, I know one of them may allow you to be paid from your home loan and a couple of other things like that, which is just some com- competition in the marketplace. But in the main, your offset account, you can go and pay out using a card. You can't typically do that with your mortgage. And it all comes back down to the strategy. We've most, most commonly, we find reg- with property investing, we find more offset accounts. Yeah. Um, because of the type of debt and the deductibility that sits in there. And yeah. with the owner-occupied, we see a combination of redraw or um, offset accounts. So that's, that's the, the commonality that I see. Is there a benefit uh, to having a redraw? It doesn't sound like a great bloody thing. Um, well, there are terms and conditions that the banks can, can lock it up that we sort of alluded to. They no, I know, that's the bad. Very, I want the good. They wouldn't be very popular <laughs> if they did it, and that's why they reversed it. So... It, there's there's the same it's the same mechanisms it's just how like if you pay down your investment property and you pull out some money to renovate your owner occupied you may lose some deductibility so that's where the offset accounts come into it so consult your accountant on that one plus plus the liquidity and stuff and and i will say um just because you have a bank account connected to a mortgage uh, doesn't mean you have an offset account and there are many no. different types of offset accounts and they all operate slightly different like again Terence point speak to your accountant um i know that there might be some tax implications as well in redraw accounts i know that offsets like a bank account like there are there are a whole heap of caveats to the generalistic statements that we <laughs> that three guys having a cup of tea at night uh, talking about <laughs> i am going to jump onto yeah. the second subject though unless you got anything else joe yeah go Let's do it. Let's jump in. Before we do that, let's jump into our, our final sponsor post of the evening, and then we'll be talking. What is that sponsor? Uh, not what's the sponsor? What is the topic? What are we covering off, Grant? Give me the give me the interest rate. Sex appeal. Interest rates trends on further increases. Hmm. Mm. And looking, are they going to stay high in twenty twenty three? And how do we play it? The amazing thing with commercial property investing is that in most cases it's cash flow positive from day one, which means that you can drive those profits towards paying down the debt. There are instances with commercial property investing where you can actually have the property pay itself off over 10 years, which is absolutely crazy. 
With commercial property, you get massive net yields, so you can expect anywhere between 6 to 10%. And as we've seen in the current boom, these properties not only provide large cash flow, they do certainly grow wildly in value too. Now, with big rewards comes some risk, and this is why you should de-risk your investment as much as possible. And the way you do that is with expert due diligence. And this is why we highly recommend people hire professionals to help you along in your investing journey. Steve Polisi of Polisi Property is one such expert. Being a chartered mechanical and structural engineer in a past life, Steve draws on his analytical and mathematical skills to do that expert due diligence for you. With six years experience in the space, Steve has over 1,200 property transactions under his belt. He's the guy you want in your corner, crunching the numbers and finding the best properties in the best locations, along with ensuring that you avoid the mistakes. Steve has actually even written the book on commercial property investing in Australia. And not only is it a bestseller, I believe it to be the most comprehensive in commercial property investing on the market today. He's been generous enough to give us a massive discount for our audience of 50%. So use the code OZPROP, click the link below, get a copy today and start learning and getting on your commercial property investing journey. commercial Ooh, life yeah i do like it all right aaron again as i was saying at the start i don't know if you know but interest rates have actually been going up there's a little birdie told me and yeah. the greatest financial influencer has suggested that it may or may not go up uh just in case you didn't know the economy stops and they don't make changes to things in january we just the economy has a holiday and they're going to come back in february 2023 and tell us if interest rates are going to go up or they're not going to go up however as we all know, they are significantly higher than they were previously. And to which they have increased substantially over what? Eight months, nine months, give or take. So I am curious in what you have seen call it the second half of 2022, what were most of the, I'll call it seasoned, matured, older property investors doing with their finances towards the second half? And what are they looking to do into 2023, noting that my pure speculation, because I'm a delinquent, I suspect they're not going to be coming down to like a 2.65% Joe, unfortunately, uh, in 2023. And I feel like they might stay pretty high as well. So what have people done and what have people, or what are people kind of talking to you about doing in 2023? Well, I suppose our, um, our, our true blue RBA really was at 0.1 of a percent, couldn't really stimulate the market anymore so there's a bit of cushion there now so that's it that's an interesting concept to unpack at a later date the the, the investors um that range anywhere between the, the the 20s through to just the half a dozen properties what what have they been doing well a lot of them where they have not too much variability of their income. They are going for the yield play on the properties, whether they can put it, I've, I've had a lot of inquiries about granny flats, improvements mm -hmm. on properties, how you can maximize some, some yield on, on existing ones, how you can increase your rent with a bit of reno. Um, we found that there is some, um, people might've had some different expenses that they needed to cut out. Um, and most of, most of in the middle range, um, Investor, I'm seeing them pack away a lot more cash in their offset accounts, hmm. uh, ready to strike on a bargain potentially. 
um, because there's always two extremes. And then some of the higher net worth clients, like $500 million plus per year in income, we're, we're seeing that they are still, still wanting to have a, a tax deduction or not really worrying too much about what's going on and doing what they need to for their own circumstances. Um, a lot of a lot of the play on some of the tighter borrowing and servicing calculations have been around how lenders have been <clears throat> playing their um, games on whether they hold the assessment rate in place or whether they change before approval or at conditional. So that's had a bit of a play on how people are continuing to go into borrowing or not. Uh, so season one's uh, I'm still seeing on a global scale 50-50, 50 refinance, 50% refinance, 50% purchases in, in my firm. Um, some of the seasoned investors are holding back. Some are packing away cash. Some are still buying quite quite strongly in the market. So it's a very different game um, to be able to generally generalize on what is a seasoned investor and what is their circumstances to be able to keep going on the, on the play. So I'm, I'm curious about that. See, I look at this going, well, the one thing I've got is just refinance. Like just refinance to the sense of reducing interest rates. Like, so primarily, um, Aaron, like I'm completely transparent. You are my lending specialist on all this. We've just done two refinances. Um, and the rates have come down from what, like 6.85 down to like a 5.2 or 5.4. Again, completely yeah. transparent. And this is my personal um, things. Like I always thought it was just cash flow reduction, cash flow reduction, but you're saying that people are actually extracting out equity to enhance their property for an increase in rental yield. So whether it's, I don't know, putting another bathroom in a second, uh, like a fourth bedroom, a granny flat out the back, subdividing, doing whatever. Um, that's interesting. Is there anything else that people are, are doing? Is it just refinance for cash flow reduction and looking for capital improvement? Um, I've come, I've walked into a few, few meetings recently where they wanted to keep investing and they didn't know where to start. They um, utilized the offset account. Um, they, they owed as much as they had in the offset account. Um, they, they had their buffers. They didn't know what was the next move. Um, so we had to unpack getting the goal of what they wanted to do. Uh, how many, how much cash reserves do people need to have before they have the money to be able to put down onto the property? How much do they want to have left after the transaction? So the, the key around continuing to borrow is what's left after the transaction. What's going to keep you going if the interest rates go up? Uh, I've talked to even, even the concept of a person looking to get an owner-occupied property. Uh, borrowing capacity is all good now, but what do you got left after the transaction? And can you handle a 6 or 7% rent interest rate versus the rent rises that may ensue in the next few months? So I'm not sure whether that gets onto your point there, but um, that's... No, no, it definitely what, does. What I'm, yeah. Because it, it dives onto my next one. Yeah. In your speculation, of course, delinquent speculation, I don't care. Do You do you. Mm. Where do you reckon this thing's <laughs> tapping out? Do you think this thing where you're just going to see a, a, an interest rate increase consistently throughout the year? Do you reckon it'll stop? Do you reckon uh, they'll drop it again? I'm just curious based on the guy that's saying it. Well, so we've, we've seen the, the 0.25s, we've seen the 0.5s, uh, we've seen the back down to 0.25s, uh, we've had the people want to 
we've seen predictions even in Oz Property Group through to other groups that I'm involved that go, no, they're not going to increase. It's going to be 0.1. It's going to be 0.25. It's going to be 0.75. We've got the international markets throwing massive different changes of, of interest rate in their relevant countries that all have different lending mechanisms to, to what Australia does. So I, I would say Australia's in a strong position, but will we start seeing more rises? I think there is. My, my speculative opinion is the rates will probably go up a, a little bit more. Um, as you said, they don't meet in January. No one spends in January and the market doesn't do anything, obviously. But um, we'll see what they do in February and that might be a telltale sign of what's going to go ahead for the next few months into the first quarter, second quarter of next year. Um, I don't feel, I feel the banks will want to keep lending money. I feel they'll want to try to go down the line of how they can improve serviceability. Um, some state governments, if they start seeing some changes in their revenue from that magical stamp duty that they love, um, bar the changes they're doing with stamp duty in New South Wales with first home buyers. Um, if they start seeing that, they'll still start to see some pressures come from different angles. But I feel if um, if inflation spending, all that sort of stuff is still going to be there, the, the RBA is going to want to try to do something about it. That's right, my Joe. answer of not answering the question. No, no, that's fine. Joe, I'm not letting you off the hook. You have to speculate as well. Where do you reckon this thing's <laughs> going to land? Um. I mean, if the RBA, this is the crazy thing. Like if the RBA says we're not going to raise rates until 2024, like how does anybody stand a chance of predicting this thing? The guys that we spend billions, like hundreds of millions of dollars to do the job of predicting where rates are going to go. So for me, um, I kind of see it just going up a cup. Maybe in, in February, they are going to be able to now look back at the data from September, October time. Um, and then start to see what inflation is doing and start to kind of model it out a little bit. So I think we might just, we may increase one or two more steps, but then I think we're just going to be steady Eddie until they can really get a handle on what is, what has this done to us? What is putting these rates up? Um, how has that affected the economy and what is going on with inflation? Because inflation went down, didn't it? Was it 7.2% or 3% and now it's at 6.9%. So that's a good sign. They did change the way they calculated inflation, though. If it was the same calculation, it was going to be 7.1. Of course they Just, oh, really? I don't want to rain on your parade, but oh. yeah. Um, oh, they can change metrics. All good stories they? and stuff. Yeah, did, did yeah. you guys know this? Uh, the government can right. change whatever the hell they want, whenever the hell they want. And they don't even have to communicate is, it. Just saying. The, the, they don't even have to communicate. Is, this is the, Big Mac, uh, the Big Mac theory. You can, you can base is it the, all on um, that. What's the other speculation you could put in there? If they can change the metrics and how they can do value, uh, inflation, could they change change a bad guy to a good guy? Um, could they change our our major influencer in the market, um, Mr. Lowe, the bad guy, putting the rates up, and they change him to a good guy that might stabilise it or bring it down because we have to have a saviour to the market? Nah, they'll get rid of him and replace him. But I yeah, probably so did the was coming. That... He's not. He's, he didn't have long left, and he was. He was on a good run, and now he's. How convenient, just, Joe. How, how convenient. Uh, no, so, no, I, I probably tend tend to agree. I think it's going to slow down. I think that I think that the rates will bubble along with slight increases as they're trying to steady the ship. Like they just don't want all this variability, sort of an uncertainty sitting in the market. And so yeah, I hope they just realise looking at the macro events that are out there as well. Cause I feel like we're very insular in Australia, but they hadn't looked at what is going on in the world events. 
Um, what happens when you print billions of dollars? Like, how did they not know printing billions of dollars was going to cause inflation? Like, surely. So I guess what the question I have is, should I just sell my property now in these interest rate environments and then just wait six, 12 months and then just buy back in? Like, Yes, and sell the... it to me, Joe. I'm happy to buy your investment properties. <laughs> <laughs> we, we know they're but... screened a little bit. I mean, it's a fair it's a fair question that some people I think are, are asking. I literally bought a property off someone, and it was crazy. We negotiated the price down thirty thousand dollars off off what was listed online. So we got it for a cracking. Like that's the other side of this coin as well. Is if people are scared, there's so much fear out there in the media. You can get absolutely stellar bargains right now. We negotiated thirty thousand dollars off it, and I was speaking to the agent about. It. I'm like, how did they? Why did they accept this? He's like, well, what they're doing is they're waiting until the market collapses 50% and they're going to buy in. So there are people out there. Um, I guess, what are your thoughts? Like, does that sound crazy? Does it sound realistic? Like, what are your thoughts, Aaron? And Grant? So, like- so, so I, I, put it, I put it this way. We, we are, as investors, we tend to go towards the opportunities of someone needing to get some cash and get out, get, get going. And I think there's a step before someone needs to like go down the, 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 the fire sale or, or that. If they are taking a step back and they prepare what their cash flows are, they're looking at what their numbers are, what is the, what is the weekly rent coming in, what are the weekly expenses, monthly, whichever your metric is, making sure it's covering where does the interest rate cap me out? What type of loan do I have? And one of the things that's come up quite recently and is, is around this concept of mortgage prison. And um, I had a sneaky look at the, um, the, the chat oh, yeah. feed in the lab. And um, throw it up. Brian, yeah. <laughs> Brian, mortgage yeah. prison is a reality for some in this environment. The <clears throat> lenders may not know this. What strategies can they use with their current lenders to reduce rates? Asking for grants, Freund. <laughs> so, which is German for friends, so it's okay. <laughs> and and, what, and what, one of the things you might find is if people have had some bad credit in the past and then it's dropped off, if they've had to get a low doc loan, now they can eligible for a full doc loan. Um, I've seen lenders come out with some options related to what we call simple refinance. So there's a simple refinance product for uh, owner-occupied and owner-occupied in investment. There's a simple refinance for self-managed super funds. And there's soon to be other ones in other spaces to help do simple refinances. So what that means is, for example, with the self-managed super fund, if, if you are at a higher rate than what you are going to go on to and you've had the mortgage and you've been good with it for the last 12 months, their, their serviceability metrics will drop down and let you through. And same with the owner-occupied rates. If you can show that you have an income, um, or you can show from a self-employed person that you have an income coming into your personal account that is reasonable um, and the interest rate you're on is higher than the interest rate you're going to go on to with this lender and you've had the mortgage for greater than 12 months and you meet all the other terms and conditions, you can refinance easily with the same rate, the same, same not the same rate, same term, same a lower rate, and that helps you get out of this thing called mortgage prison because mortgage prisons where you are able to pay the 8 9% interest rate but you can't qualify to get the 5% rate, mm-hmm. right? So before we go down, the, the, so we've got the excitement that investors can get a bargain. We've got the worst case that they actually have to sell it and they need that investor relationship to get that amount of trouble. But in between, we've got these people that may just need their lending rejigged and restructured to help them 
hold on a bit longer by going from say an eight to a five and then recalculating what they're doing. Maybe they had to wait their 60 days to get their rental rise. Maybe they had to change agents to manage their rental income. Maybe they were in between jobs and they've just landed uh, their dream job of their life to be able to get through. So what, what is it, their personal circumstances that help us on the other end? So I think yeah, you're right. Let's go get the bargains and we need to match that investor to the extreme. But I think, um, Everyone needs to get involved in a, a mortgage professional to be able to have a look at their 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 situation to be able to um, help them get through and give them give them time. So if they do need to sell, don't let the bank sell it. Let let you sell it for the highest price with the right agent. So yeah, I was actually having financing. That simple refinance. Is, sorry, Joe. The, yeah, go. Is that just for a short period of time or will that allow them to apply that rate for a longer period? Like you said, that, that it just means that they can get over that hurdle for 60 days in order for them to have the rents increased. Um, because what I'm seeing here, or what if I'm understanding it correctly, Aaron, is a way for us to sweep some of the mortgage stress under the rug. Is this some creative financing no. where now they don't pop up and appear on, hey, now people have got problems with <laughs> so- paying mortgages? No, no. So, so that simple refinance product um, that I have available is if you've been paying your um, paying everything nice and cleanly, everything's on time, your credit rate's fine, everything's looking awesome. You might have been in a, a third tier lender, or as you said, the, could be the Sharky territory. Um, you need to get out of it, but you can't qualify for, say, CBA's assessment rate. So we can go to a second tier lender where this one is. We have the option of variable rate. We have the option of fixed rates. We have the options, all that stuff. You're on a 26-year mortgage. We can give you a 26-year mortgage. Um, We just don't need to meet the serviceability guidelines that stringent as what the major banks would do as to what the simple refinance criteria is. So it allows us to go to the eight to the five and a half. um, And that mechanism could be the reason why you can keep going on different things. Um, you can keep keep waiting for the rental rise or you can that your property's coming in or any of that sort of stuff. Overall strategy of your whole portfolio there. So mortgage, mortgage prison is something that came out of the Royal Commission um, and it was one of those things where we needed to, people were able to pay the higher rate, but they weren't able to qualify for the lower rate. Crazy. I, yeah. One of the questions I've got, so I love refinancing. I don't know why. I just get my kicks out of signing a whole heap of paperwork and then seeing my cash flow, <laughs> my net cash flow increase. Because for some reason, every single time that we knock on banks' doors, they're just willing to give a cheaper rate than what we were on. Aaron, I've never asked you this question. Is there like a limit to how often I can ping you to ping the banks to give me a cheaper interest rate? Like if they keep bumping up interest rates for the next three months, six months, whatever, or if they drop them or whenever... Can I do that every three months? Can I do that every six months? Like, is there a limit to how often I can do? Because I'm sure there's a whole heap of people sitting there now going, well, I just refinanced maybe in Q3 2022. Should I refinance at the end of Q1 2023 or Q2 2023? Or is that too short? Is that too close? Is that not on par? Like, how, do, how should people think about it? Cool. So number one, it depends whether you need more money. And what your goal is. So if you don't need any more money, this is, this is the tips. If you don't need any more money, it's best to ring your current bank. One of the things we don't want to get involved in is if you're re- refinancing every three months, you're hitting your credit file all the time. And that could have another, uh, another interesting conversation to be sitting there as well. But hit up your current bank. Have a comparison. 
Um, I had a I had a lady call me up about her rates, and she was sitting at one and a half percent higher with this with the bank. They went to the the bank that they were at. We I said let's jump onto that bank's website and see what they're offering the new 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 customers. They were offering the new customers one and a half percent less. So I said, cool, we've got our competitor called themselves. Ring them up and see what happens. They rung them up without question. They got the current rate that was on their website without question at all, one and a half percent off. Now, that person didn't ask for a rate reduction for over eight to 10 months. And I'd say even if you haven't asked for something in six months, call them up because they, they will, will probably be in that vicinity because they've just been piling it on top of what's been going on and not comparing, not reducing you back to where the new customers are getting. So that's where I go. And if they are offering something similar to what, if, if you've got a better rate from another provider and the current bank's website doesn't give you the, a better rate than you're on, you can use the competing product and give that to them and say, over the road, Joe Bloggs has given me this. You need to give me this so you can retain me. You can do it that way as well. Sometimes they play the game. Sometimes they don't. You can ask as much as you want. It's always free to ask a question. Um, Joe jo knows it's free to ask. Free to offer to put, put an offer in on property. It's free to ask a question with a bank. It's only when you 100%. start signing things you're in trouble. So, yeah, keep asking. Um, I've tested not this. If there's, not, not, if there's, not if there's a good cooling off. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I've, depending, on the, depending on the state. South Australia, you're Gosh, pretty, you're pretty good just throwing, throwing Gosh, off the um, This is literally – funny. I, call, I called you the other – a couple a couple months back, actually, um, Aaron, and we had this conversation, um, and you said to me something that I was like, I haven't forgotten. You said, yeah, go onto their website and then – apply to cancel your loan like go through the oh, yeah, cancellation process can yep. you talk to that why yeah, why so, did you give me that <laughs> so one of one of the things that we we can do what before i refinance someone that doesn't need any more money we want to make sure that their bank doesn't want them anymore because um i want to i want to validate making making the time and the space for for the client and i want to make sure that we're not going to get tripped up at the end where we can act in the best interest by remaining at the same lender by doing all the work for nothing. Um, not trying to be selfish, but we, we, we want to serve as many clients as we can. Um, so going to, going to the bank with their current rates or using a competitor, get their rate down as far as you can and still not happy. If you're still not happy or you've gone to your broker and they've done the automated thing and they're still not getting the result you want. What I've found um, is when we've had banks that stop you from downloading a discharge form and getting the client to sign it and then ninjuring it up in the background and the bank doesn't get an opportunity to retain, some of the banks have got very sneaky and they're asking the client to ring up for the discharge. So if we've gone through all the work, we've done all the paperwork, we've signed off on all the documents and we signed off on the discharge at the end of the game, we put it in, the bank comes back going, cool, I'm going to give you a better rate than what you've applied for, please stay. So what we want to do is we want to reverse that. We want them to tell us up front. And if they're not playing the games, the retention team, sometimes the computer is not like the retention team. The retention team's a person, jumps on the phone and says, hey, Joe, I'm going to give you this instead if you cancel your discharge. Mm. And yeah. it's usually a little bit lower than what the computer says or what you ring up and have a general conversation with. 
the person. But sometimes yeah. I can tell you there's a lot of the times they'll go, cool, just just send in your discharge, mate. It'll be right. Let's send it in. Yeah, exactly. Away you go. Call, and, and, call yeah. my bluff. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is exactly this is exactly what we did a couple of months back. Um, I'll share it. I'll share it in the uh, in the chat um, because I saved. This was back when rates were a little bit less. I was on a four point seven percent rate. Um, I did this exact to- topic. I applied to negotiate. I said, "Hey, I want to withdraw my loan." Now, for me, I've I'm in a business, so I haven't been. Um, I wasn't able to pull. Actually, I better not say that. I, you know, I can borrow with any lender. Don't worry about it. Um, but I wouldn't be able to refinance out of that loan anyway. So I would just went to the bank and said, hey, guys, I'm going to leave. Here's the button, exit. And then I got a phone call followed by an email saying, hey, guys, uh, hey, Joe, we want to we, we really want to keep you. Um, they took it from 4.7 down to 3.6, which was $572 a month. Um, I created actually, no, we created a script, Aaron, if you we remember. Um, I've just posted that in the comments. There's four steps to the script. It's step by step. And uh, you too can save that. For those that are listening to the podcast at home, um, join our newsletter. It's propertyinvesting.substack.com and then you'll find it find it in there. But it's crazy how you can save. Like I think everyone looks at the, the top end, um, but the management of property and how you optimize these annoying little paperwork, a couple of, like a phone call. How, how can any other phone call save you $570 a month? Um, every single month in perpetuity, it's it's an ROI. There's a bloody ROI. I wish, I wish it was 500 bucks a month. Yeah, I rang them up and they said no to me, maybe because I was asking too much. <laughs> you're like, oh, you're that broker that tells everyone to cancel. You're no, going. I'm probably, yeah. I'm probably banned from a whole range of things. Yeah. But <laughs> but it's in in the best podcasts. interest. Yeah, it's it's in your best interest to get your rate down as low as you can. And then it's still in your best interest if the numbers all stack up to your goal to move banks. Most so of the time people minimum- refinance with, with a goal, with extra money or extra things that they need. Is there a minimum amount of time? So is every three months too much? Is that too much to be going out? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> is... Um, so what historically, if you, if you go back a few years, historically lenders wanted you to have their minimum, um, statement period for your home loan, whether it was three months with one of the majors or six months in general terms, have that history to take you on as a, as a risk or not a risk. And they're always looking at you as a risk to take you on. But with the advent of some of the, the comprehensive credit reporting, um, and, and that, that, that level of detail that lenders have on you for other banks data through to their own data um, that's sort of been reduced and uh, depending on the lender's policy that can be very quick it can be very very quick it can even be one one month's payment it could be even even less so it <laughs> depends on what your purpose of the refinance is so there's an expense to get that mortgage in the first place and there's expense to exit that mortgage so you're going to have to have the the have a chat about what it is that you want. So uh, the quickest I've had someone discharge uh, a property on me was about seven days. So they bought the property and they onsold it for seven days later. Now I, okay. I still got paid and everything because they put it out there. Mortgages for brokers, usually their comms can get clawed back within um, 24 months. Um, so they work for you for nothing. So just be mindful to go back to your broker on any refinances yeah. um, because they want to look after you. 
and with and if there's a purpose so if there's a, a if there's an expense to discharge and entry fees is there an opportunity do you have an opportunity to go buy that next property so do you have an opportunity to go help someone that's in a little bit of stress and you can go refinance get some money out and go buy the next property do you need to yeah. consolidate some some debt because it's too much and you need to go to a different lender to the lender that you just got to get the property do you need to do the two-step thing i i have this little two-step uh, thing that I do, so especially I around up. the self-employed. Yeah, I love love the two-step thing. So the two-step thing What's is two-step. Yeah, it's so dance. Or what else is it? It is a dance. Like this, <clears throat> we love to dance, and mortgage brokers love to dance with banks. and bagpipes and bagpipes. Yeah. The, so the two-step typically comes in. You take a self-employed person coming up to the end of the financial year. We know their finances are. Uh, are strong or they're, they're soon to be strong or there's something coming on that's really, really cool. And we know in the last couple of years, businesses have come out um, swinging really, really well. And we have an opportunity in front of them and we can't get the right financials from, say, 2021, where they were a little bit impacted by COVID or lockdown or whatever it is, but they're really strong in 2022. We can look to um, a different um, business activity statements to get the lending. We could look to an accountant's letter to get the lending, depending on the criteria of the bank and their overall goals. And we can get them the opportunity, knowing that they'll have that, have that loan for not 30 years, but six months, eight months, 10 months, depending on how, how long and how motivated they are to, and, and I find a lot of business owners are always motivated to keep their books up to date and things like that, the ones that we've got. And then they go down the line of getting their 2022 tax returns involved when they give me the 2022 tax returns, we can then move them from that slightly higher rate lender into a, uh, a big four or a, or a good second tier lender to give them an overall great rate so they can get the opportunity off the table, whether it's vacant land to construct their dream home through to getting an investment property that's gone up in up by nine or 10% in the last six to 12 months, which has overcome the couple of, a couple of grand, for example, that they've had to pay in the extra interest rate. So opportunity, opportunity, cost. On, opportunity cost comes into it. It's like in, in business, we always say, um, when's it good to hire a staff member? It's probably good when you've got the right one in front of you. Um, you've got to have some preparation. You've probably got to have some growth mindset. But typically, if that, that staff member's in front of you, you've got to take them um, or they might not come back around again. So uh, opportunity cost is real. It's there. You've got to do everything you can prepare for it. And if you don't need to do the two-step, cool. If you do, it's really cool outcomes that you can get from having that opportunity secured away. Mm. I like yeah. this one because I've been in the same boat and you've literally described like, the two-step that I mostly go through because um, I Being am a mirror. business owner and I do use best statements and I do do all those fun things. But one of the points that I was going to bring up, which is this concept around, is there a benefit if someone's on a loan shark lender, a tier three lender, like in a tier two lender of them going, maybe I don't want to call the tier three because I actually want to move to a better bank. I might be able to get something similar. Like if I was to go and change, whether it's they were going to drop me down by 2%, if I was going to change, I was going to get the same 2% reduction. Are there times where if someone's with a third tier lender, you recommended to say, hey, you probably should move up the ladder if you're going to do a refinance <laughs> or if you're looking for a reduction in interest rates or you're looking to try and extract cash just because um, they're more reputable, they aren't as volatile, so interest rates increases or interest rate decreases, like, or is it they're all the same and it doesn't really matter? You can go and talk to any of them to just reduce your interest rate. Like, Where do you sit on that? 
So I, I sit where the um, National Credit Code protects the consumers very, very well with any lending that's in someone's personal name all the time. So whether you're first, second or t- third tier lender, if you're going to get the same rate as the lowest rate in the market and it's a, a bank you don't know the name of, maybe can't pronounce it, um, <clears throat> sometimes you can't pronounce the jargon they use, but um, if, you, if you're going to get the same rate and you're with a bank that's not the standard bank and you don't have to do the paperwork or anything and it's going to cost the same on a cost analysis over the period of time, I would say that a dollar from one bank is the same value as another dollar from another bank. Do you still have the same protections? Absolutely, mm-hmm. you save the same protections because they're under the same regulatory code. They may lend in different codes, but they will protect you as a consumer. Um, but if your cost analysis is going to be in favour of moving up the ladder, so to speak, um, we, we would move you up the ladder. If you are a client of mine that has a two-step process in, in, in play now, and I've still got a few in play, um, we have your refinance set in the future. We are following you up to see where your tax returns are. We are following up to see when things are dropping off, say, credit files and things like that, to be able to take the opportunity now, whether it's your own home or an investment property that's going up in price. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious. Right now, Aaron, Yeah. just because I'm a competitive little beast, Go for it. Go back last one week, two weeks, three weeks, as of the time of this live. What is the best variable interest rate you have seen that you just oh. like, damn, that's good? Just because I want to compare Go myself. On. So you're looking at like three weeks ago? Yeah, like three weeks, two weeks, one week. Just just make me FOMO. So on a on a on an investment or a owner-occupied? Investment. So this <laughs> is We're a... property investors. Don't give right. me the owner-occupied. Uh, here we go. So just to give you the scale of what happens with rates, so interest-only owner-occupied is the highest, interest-only investors the second highest, interest, a principal and interest investment is the next one, and then owner-occupied principal and interest is the lowest. That's how the scale works. Um, so back, back um, uh, three weeks ago, uh, we were getting any, for principal and interest investor, we get anywhere between 4.79 and 4.99, um, interest only, we were at sort of the, the four nines to the five ones. That's where we're about then, um, with a bit of push, a bit of bit of grease in the wheels. All right, there's the benchmark <laughs> report. All right, I'm going to go back and have a look. <laughs> there might be some yeah, what about getting emails from me? But there's now 0.25 on top of all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what about for owner occupiers? What does that look like? Uh, we, we were seeing the, 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 the low fours to the four and a half, but um, obviously three weeks ago is like a, uh, not, not really a good judgment call because we've got the extra 0.25 that they lovely put on the Christmas table for us. <laughs> Wonderful. So add a little on, add a little on yeah, top. Yeah, because yeah. it usually takes a couple of weeks after they announce it. So it is a Christmas present, not a, not a uh, first week of December. Present, right. Uh, any other questions before I jump onto the, the third one, Jack? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So one of the things that I found very fascinating, and Aaron, I suspect that you've seen some of these things as well, is when environments change, whether it is interest rates drop down to 0.1% or whether they increase up to like the threes or the, the actual bank rate, <clears throat> as you were saying, like the fives, fives and a halves, borrowing becomes creative. 
Like more recently, mm. I have started seeing some very creative products sitting out there. Now <laughs> I'm trying to understand, is it a creative product that I should avoid or is it a creative product that I potentially should lean into? And so I'm curious with uh, an environment where a borrowing capacity for property investors have dropped fact, like the, the comparisons on income and the amount that they can lend you out. Um, the comparisons against the, um, the availability of borrowing against your income to interest rate, et cetera. I am curious, what are some good products that you're seeing lenders come out with that you're like, this is interesting or that you have heard about? And what are some things that scare the living daylights out of you? And you're like, holy smokes, Jordan Belford version two is coming out. <laughs> well, go, we can go really lighthearted. Some of the some of the tracking tools that are out there are using a thing called open banking to bring all your feeds into from different lenders into one so you can monitor and track things. So I love dashboards. Run one for the business, run one for the property investment portfolio. So if you don't do that, let's hit up. What's, hit what's up on your the, portfolio dashboard? What are the high-level metrics? <clears throat> Sorry to take it down. Yeah, so rent, rent, expenses for day-to-day. Uh, and then inclusion of what you can do when you get to tax time as well. Um, I try to run a, I, I run a separate email for all my property management stuff. I run an offset account for my um, incomes and outgoings for, for investments, uh, depending on which entity it's in. Um, so those, those things I'm, I'm monitoring on, on as well. Yeah. And the dashboard is also looking at like net wealth, any of the valuation changes, any of the debt changes, um, I've got a combination of P&I and interest only and things. So they they all create different things and draw it all in. So if one property's changed downwards and another property is up, they all balance themselves out. Um, and whether you're waiting for a property to give you a tax return or you're waiting for, or you've got a cash flow positive property. So it depends on your goals and circumstances, but a dashboard, a good dashboard to see where you're at and review it. Um, a great thing to have. Um, so simple ones. People dragging dragging data in for different banks to monitor things. So then you get a little bit more creative. Um, so the more creative stuff we see, um, we see the government's helping the the first home buyers. So that's a really interesting thing to reduce deposits for single parents down to two percent. Whether that's right or wrong, that's an interesting Scary. conversation to have. Um, through to five percent, and the government being the guarantor instead of mum and dad. Then we're also seeing other conglomerates where you can get a, a full set of mums and dads to to invest into a Nikki No Name. Um, son or daughter and um, help them get into a property with a lower deposit as well. Uh, and then we've got these other things. That there's a, a competitive streak coming out related. It used to come out with banks wanting to self-insure, but when you borrow over 80%, there's this funky thing called lender's mortgage insurance. Uh, and when you get into lender mortgage insurance, there was two major players in the market, QBE and Genworth. And then we, then we have um, some self-insurers like ANZ, Lenders Mortgage Insurance, Westpac uh, Mortgage Insurance. So the banks wanted to get a little piece of the pie before they, they sent it off to those big players. Um, and now we've got um, a couple of lenders come out with um, pay-by-the-month mortgage insurance. So instead of um, going, you, you go to 90% and you get 80, say you get 87% ready to go to the, to the property and the extra 3% or the 2.5% where it sits goes to the mortgage insurer. Now you can pay by the month and you can get your full 90%. So that's really interesting. It has a first home buyer slant on it at the moment. And <clears throat> that's what I'm seeing. They test these things in the owner-occupied land and we'll see what they do in the investor. The, the other ones where it gets a little bit more 
more in, intense because of the regulation around these particular products is that um, people with um, self-managed super funds and it gets more intense that um, they're self-managed for a reason. People can set them up and all that nice stuff, obviously independent advice and stuff on that, but they can invest in things that provide a return. And there's other things other than, so we can invest into, into our super with property and lending, but they can also lend into other areas like unit trusts and a few other things that I've seen a few companies out there that are probably dancing around the edges of some regulatory stuff about how they can um, provide that back for deposits and things to get, get lending and get first homes and things like that and then provide a return with market changes upwards and lending downwards to provide a return to that unit trust and that unit trust goes back to the super. So very convoluted stuff, very on the edge stuff, but there's some pretty interesting stuff out there. I, I'm, I'm not sure if you saw seen anything more scary out there, Grant. Oh, <laughs> the LMI stuff scares the living daylights out of me. Yeah. Before I continue on that point, it's hilarious because I can always tell when you really, really agree with something or completely disagree with something, Aaron. And I have <laughs> never seen you summarize bullet points as quick <laughs> as you have just then <laughs> on all of those things. <clears throat> I, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. So in other words... <laughs> A lot of those products, you're su suggesting that they may or may not be good things coming into the market. Um, like one of the things that I'm seeing is, uh, I shan't name names, but I'm going to call it an LMI competitor. And what they are is like they're basically a middleman. So they're allowing other uh, homeowners to put up the equity in their properties. And you're talking like hundreds and thousands or hundreds slash thousands of Australians who own their own home with equity. They can all put up their money and then they actually hold that money and put it as collateral for the LMI component of someone else's mortgage. So literally on a bank application, it will be a tick box of using like in your example, Aaron, QBE or something else, you will use this company and it's like a third of the price, which means everybody le leans into it. But then the thing that scares the living daylights out of me is what level of collateral has everyone else put their houses onto that? And at the start, you said that there are other products where parents and uh, parents and friends and things like that can sort of be the guarantors for the component above an 85% debt. And it scares the daylights out of me because I'm like, at what point are these people cross collateralizing their, which is basically putting up another asset to fund something else, like another asset. I'm like, at what point does this person who probably shouldn't have bought a house in the first place going to risk everything else of those people around them, et cetera. And I'm just starting to see these creative things come out that I'm just sitting on the sidelines going, that's to me personally, I'm like, that seems to be a little bit scary, a little bit concerning and some a product that I personally probably won't look at doing. <laughs> However, there is a product that I'm fascinated with that I think is going to be something that's going to become more prominent over the next couple of years and it's peer-to-peer -peer lending and I, you touched on this right at the start of this episode and I, and I pulled you up and I said yeah. don't talk to us about yeah. it talk to us about it now because yeah I, I love LimeWire I love Torrance peer-to-peer uh, -peer <laughs> downloading was always a great thing I'm like what's wrong with peer-to-peer -peer lending can't be anything bad yeah, surely not what is it you can you can download the uh, Terminator movies if you want to take the uh, picture that's going <laughs> on Terminators. <laughs> the Luminators here. So peer-to-peer -peer lending is not a new thing. It's been out for a while. There's been mortgage 
uh, funds that have their own AFSL licenses and they provide a cool return to things. So there's, there's some pretty cool non-bank lenders that have some really cool returns related to um, putting your money in and getting a return on it, a bit like bonds and things like that that fund mortgages, but just a bit more peer-to-peer where they get a bit more control over policy. So that's that's been in there for a long time. I know one lender has nearly $200 million a month coming into the inflows into that 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 mortgage fund. So very professional um, run ship there. Very good, very good two-step lender too to, to go for those mm-hmm. opportunities for the self-employed guys. The, the peer-to-peer lender that got really interesting a few years ago was um, in the personal loan space where um, some of the personal loan lenders were coming in with um, just scraping bank account statements and not doing the traditional metrics on assessment and they were getting investors' funds and lending them out under, under the um, guise of their policies and their licensing as well. Um, and we're even seeing that more and more coming into the, the mortgage space with some of the products that we talked about with um, that, that LMI and and um, getting into um, the how they move money into different trust structures and things like that, um, and who and and that that's where the peer to peer is. But I think what I'm looking at for peer to peer lending is who's managing the money. Is it a mortgage fund? Is it a professional outfit? Does it have licensing? Has it had some runs on the board? Um, but before I'm even considering the the, the investor space, I'm, I might become a mortgage broker to help them diverse their product out in the market and get paid for it, but they have to be fully fully licensed regulated to do that so, so, so the yeah. second that they come into like your mortgage broker tool where it's like hey what are the yeah. what are the mortgages available if the peer-to-peer lenders are in the tool you're like cool i'm, I'm open slide up are there peer-to-peer lenders that are in sort of the comparison tools that most mortgage brokers have or is this a relationship <clears> where you go out build the relationship assess them yourself and then say hey because I'm a really nice guy and I'm an overachiever, I have all these peer-to-peer guys because a lot of people might not be able to borrow money because of constraints of borrowing they've got now because of what the banks are doing and this could be a viable option. And then as you answer that, the part two is, are they comparable rates to what you can get from other banks? So, so I've talked about the ones that are comparable rates that are on mortgage broker panels um, to do, say, personal lending or even the um, broad suite of um, prime lending being a low cost through to the, the um, accountants letter stuff and, and into their SMSF and commercial space. The, those ones are the, the ones that are on panel been there for ages, one of the oldest banks there. Um, the, the ones that um, get outside that box, um, we get into the private lending space because the private lending space is just, it can be some dude that has money that wants to have a return on it, that wants to dump it into a project or a conglomerate of people that want to do the same thing. So there's a purpose for that stuff, but there's a rigorous purpose of why you're using it and how you're going to get out of it and how they're going to get the money back. And everyone's looking for a return from an investment side of things. Everyone's looking for a return. It's just what type of risk they're going to take on that return. Um, So, from an investor point of view, yeah, the, the, the money we're lending out is either from deposit-taking institutions, bond markets, sovereign funds, super funds, all that sort of stuff comes into the, the mortgage lending market to get a return of whatever the interest rate minus the costs and stuff and the wholesale rates and all that stuff. But um, peer-to-peer lending is more of a way to say how can we get around some of the, the – how can we become competitive with policy or into the property um, – development space where a few dudes have a few billion dollars to run around with to make some money off. 
Yeah. Like, and also if you if you are doing a project and a development, sometimes the interest rate doesn't really matter too much if you get access to that capital. So like right now I'm looking at a, a at a development site that um, it's a project within six months. Um, I've got charged an 8.69% interest rate. And if I want to do it at um, a 90% lend, it is going to have an extra 2% on buffer on top of that. So it'll be a 10 point, was it 10.69 or 10.59% interest rate. But over that six months, it's the, the question, the, the challenge that I have is, do you want to do the project or do you not? Because I can't do the project without that, without the lending. So it, it's not going to exist. So it's like, well, I got to have to pay it. But over six months, it's not a massive chunk of money for me in the grand scheme of the overall project being a, being a success. And we'll, we'll, I'll share all of that project when it, if it gets, gets off the ground and if I can stomach a 10% interest rate. Um, but it's, it's so many interesting ways to, to skin it. It's just so, are there any other kind of creative like technology companies coming up with cool trendy stuff that you're, you're seeing out there in the, in the lending space that we should keep our eyes on? So the, the, the technology that I'm seeing is how you get your mortgage. So over the last two years, we've had a lot of people locked at home, identification requirements, um, how they judge living expenses, how they scrape bank accounts, um, how they look at other banks' bank accounts in doing your application to make it quicker. That has been a very big development space, um, but the lending still the same traditional metrics as we've had and we currently do have. So the in going into the bank and the data that the bank has on you to be able to assess your loan quicker um, has been, been very, very good. During, during the last two years, we found that coming up to Christmas, like if you last year and the year before, it was like nuts with the timeline it took to get your approval done. It was up to that 15 days, 20 days, 30 days, 60 days. And we've seen a lot of the technology adoption in the banks to be able to shorten that down. And we're, we're starting to see that even lenders today are taking one to two hours or even four hours if they've got everything to be able to give you unconditional approvals. And then they've got DocuSign on the other side. Um, that's just some of the metrics behind the scenes. Like we, we talked about some of the open banking stuff before where you can give permission to other financiers to have current balances, name and address, and a few other things to help approve things faster. When I, as a mortgage broker, we have a fully regulated area. So some of the newer lenders and the people that are trialing and testing all their, their lending and peer-to-peer and um, all the funky equity stuff from a group of investors doesn't totally get to me until it's got some some testing and some 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 runs on the board because um, my licensee has a fairly um, uh, regu- a fairly stringent barrier to get over to get in to be able to be offered and I want to offer good professional products but I love seeing innovation and development like the next person does because who doesn't I like to chase the shiny object to see where it goes. So is this is this just going to be more profits for the banks, Aaron, or are they going to actually pass on some of these technological savings to us? Oh, yeah. good question. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's why we have these alternative funding modes that allow them to <laughs> if they compete fun, faster. Maybe maybe there's a way. I don't know. Have you asked yeah. the bank to give you savings when they've improved their process? Well, I tell you, I tell you what, I'm see- I'm seeing oh, nothing well, but banks later. closing down. Yeah. All the banks are just shutting down. If you go walk up Cronulla Street, there are literally four branches empty. NAB, S, um, Westpac, they're all just closing down. So 
they're saving hundred, they're saving hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars uh, from that aspect. But if anyone has any comments for Aaron or, or Grant or myself, throw those in the comment box, and we will uh, we will get we will get to it. This has been quite a, a wide ranging conversation, um, but throw them in now while we while while we kind of chat through. Oh yeah, questions. Ask yeah. the questions, Aaron. I got a question. You sitting in your ivory tower, looking down at 2023, sitting there speculating. What are the risks that someone should be looking out for, especially property investors? That like the uncertainties. You know, everybody's like, ah, oh, maybe the interest rates will go up. Maybe inflation is going to be high. Um, obviously, cash flow is important. Increase rents and stuff. Are there any risks that you're seeing? that people aren't talking about that just because you've got the boots on the ground experience that you're like these, these got the back, like the hairs on the back of my neck kind of standing up and people aren't talking about it, but they should, or is it everything the media kind of talks about is this kind of it? No, no, there's, um, there's, I reckon there's some government risk. Um, I don't know whether, uh, whether this has any bearing or any uh, development coming out, like with the renter, when you advertise a rental property these days in New South Wales, you can't offer more. Um, so that's an interesting control mechanism. Are they going to control down and lock down on any uh, rental rises and things for, for investors? That's an interesting one. We had that spook related to uh, Queensland property tax. So there's some probably some government governmental risk there to help with um, their mechanisms or whatever their thoughts are of balancing the books and also making affordable housing down to the um, uh, factors. Um, so from the ivory tower, hey, the... <laughs> well, what do you think about that? It's like some of the look out the window. You totally, Hey, I'm, I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking in your crystal ball. Like some things that I see is like, as a question mark, when New South Wales is doing uh, this whole first home buyer grant, uh, first home buyers can use land tax instead of stamp duties. And I sit there and I look at it the same way that I looked at Queensland saying, hey, if this gets off the ground and other states say, this is great, get rid of the stamp duty, let's just do land tax. I'm looking at this mm -hmm. going, well, your borrowing goes up because you don't have to put down that twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars in stamps anymore, but you do have to pay it every single year in perpetuity, which is frustrating, but it just opens more opportunities because uh, the flippers come in, right? The house flippers, the, the renovators. So now people are looking to borrow and they'll flip because it doesn't have um, that whole sort of layer of, well, I need a whole heap of money for this stamp duty. And then when I sell it, so does the other person. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking at things like that going, oh, this is interesting. Um, another piece that I'm also looking at is I suspect that lenders will come out with, um, and actually Charlie and I talk about this quite a bit. At, um, we'll probably do a topic of it over at Property Investing um, about the concept of like a 40, 50 year mortgage where people can then drag it out. And so that will help people with their cash flow challenges. And it's just a product, which is well, why is it 30? Why is it not 10? Why is it not 20? Why is it not 100? Right? And so I look at these things going, hmm, are there opportunities and are there other risks that might come in? And so those are two of the ones that I really kind of look at. So with, with, the, with the stamp duty thing in New South Wales, it's for the first home buyers up to a cap of 1.5 mil. So that's an interesting thing. Uh, it, you are right. It's the buy now, pay later thing um, I feel like the, the last calculations I did was in 11 years and then you'd be paying more so yep. you have to consider that 
Um, they're not doing it for investor, but you you see most of the government schemes trialed on owner occupiers uh, and then also first home buyers. So we've also got the national scheme about the government buying 30% of an established house and helping you buy it and also 40% of a new house when you meet their criteria. So they're putting more money back into the economy that way. Uh, and then also uh, migration too. So I feel like the the one of the risks I'm probably going to put out there is the rents and how the ability for a landlord to increase rents is going to change or watch that change. And then the interstate government risk with people trialing different things and seeing how it goes. The ownership so of your you, property. Yep. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by shifting rents? So, so New South Wales has obviously put this thing where if you're advertising for a hundred bucks a week, you can't, you can't accept more. You've got to accept applications and get the landlord to choose. Whereas in the past they were going, Oh no, mate, I'll, I'll pay 200 bucks a week for this. Yeah. Um, so that negotiation's gone. Um, so we'll see, see how that one rolls out. But um, I, I probably see some more controls around the rent rises because in the media is sensationalizing not only the interest rates, but how renters are getting hit as well. Yeah. Um, from a, so in lending, we've got the uh, interest rates. We will have other other competitive products coming out. So that's going to be a, an interesting watch and see in there. Um, I feel like a lot of lot of investors are going to one one of the things that puts hairs on the back of my neck is that if we don't understand the serviceability calculator, and we buy if we're on a fixed income and we buy a negatively geared property or we buy a property that doesn't have the right rental yield for you it's going to be a hard thing to hold on to. Even if you get it approved today and the rents go, the interest rates go up, it's going to be a hard thing to hold on to. So I'm seeing a lot of change with a lot of investors down the line of getting higher yielding properties. So mm, to, to look at the calculator, the only thing I can't put on a calculator of the bank is capital growth. I can put on mm. rent until the cows come home. I can put on income until the cows come home, but I can't put on capital growth. Now, investors like capital growth and, I'm seeing that a lot of people are going down the swing of needing needing higher yield to afford the property. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The yield it's plays. also good to look at properties that you can add value to. <clears throat> Maybe we call them ugly ducklings, right? It's something that has an ugly kitchen or an ugly bathroom that you don't need to touch right now. You can get it fully rented as is, um, but in five years' time, you can invest five ten thousand dollars refresh it and then that's going to allow you to up your you know rental price 40 50 dollars or those other strategies that you were talking about um like granny flats or or um those type of things but one thing i guess one thing i don't hear enough about granny flat so i just recently purchased a property with a granny flat potential um but the it's not ready yet for the person to go ahead and put the granny flat up there because they need to build their capital. They need to build their equity and their, their growth. If you buy a house, put a granny flat on it. So you pay $500,000 for the house. And then let's just round numbers, $200,000 for the granny flat. The property will not be revalued at $700,000 or more. Generally speaking, oh, actually, Aaron, what do you see out there with properties that have just got a recently new built granny flat? Someone's paid 200000 for it. What, is it. what does it look like? So to the renovate or they've just recently bought a property? They bought a property and then they decided, I want to put a granny flat on it and then refinance mm. to get all this because I just spent 200 grand. I want to get some of my yeah. equity and then go buy another one. So so if 
if you're going to put a granny flat on a property that's recently been purchased, um, the bank will do what they say, call a tentative on completion valuation of what they feel the granny flat's going to add the value on top of what you just paid for it. Uh, if you're going to want to build up capital and you want to put a granny flat on quickly after settlement, probably good to look at uh, cash play or lending from other asset play because you may not, as you said, you may not get the right value because the market, you were the market that just bought the property. If you put some distance between it, say three, six months or so, put some distance between it. If you had a stage two plan of putting a granny flat, you may get the uplift that you, you need on it. Most of the time, improving the property is usually valued at the price you're going to pay under the contract you're going to pay. But in some cases, it may not be. So it's a bit of a hit and miss. But if you're looking at that sort of play, you come to a, a broker with your plans and your contract and you get your valuation up front before you action or spend too much money. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think mortgage brokers need to be involved at that play because I'm seeing a lot of people getting granny flats and then thinking that they can pull that equity out, but they can't. It just doesn't it doesn't work. Well, you can you can always put it on to begin with, and get build 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 for purpose. Maybe if you're going to do it quickly, but if you're going to do two step, maybe put some distance or get the valuations up front. See if you can do it. <clears throat> Love that. Okay, can well I, let's. Can, this has been a, a little bit more awesome. Off. I got, yeah, go. Go on. I got two more. Go on, I got two more delinquents. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Just, I, I just got to finish this out. I'm just going to make sure that I can speculate too. Uh, so, th first one, talking about open banking. So, I speculate and I suspect that if interest rates continue to increase, there's going to be a lot of people with cash sitting in offset accounts and redraw accounts that they will actually go and lend out to your peer to peer. I suspect that people are going to come out with technology that will actually embed insurance, embed aggregation in rates and everything like that. So you've got the insurance. It's almost like a bank. However, your mum and dads are using equity from their homes. Your property investors are actually getting a better rental return than just leaving it an offset and offsetting 5% because <laughs> now they're lending it out to Joe at 10%, but they've actually got some buffers around in from an insurance perspective, from a does he have enough money? Uh, what does his bank account look like? Thanks to open banking. Um, I, I suspect there are going to be some risks, but opportunities in the innovation in that where I think that there's going to be a, a whole heap of people that will actually not use that offset cash or the equity to go and buy more property. They will actually use that because the cash flow on the interest rate that they can go and lend it out is just going to be too appealing. And I already know quite a few people that are looking at seven figures in cash going, and I'm just going to lend this out. Like it's better than sitting there getting offset. Um, I'm just going to lend it out. I'm going to have good returns, get it back in 12 months, 24 months, and then just go again. So I suspect that there's going to be some of those things um, that might, might prop up the market. It might not prop up the market. I got no idea. I'm just a guy with a microphone. <laughs> we, with the one thing we know, as, as yeah. you were saying, the one thing we know, banks want to make money. The governments want to make their stamp duty. And it's a conundrum sitting right in there that if any of those levers change, we may see different calculations change, people change in government. And it's going to be an interesting one. Innovation always comes out. We, we see it in well, business land or any land where we want to minim, minimize the tax. And when they increase the tax, they, there's always someone that finds or innovates around it. Or with, with lenders, with interest rates going up, same thing. They find lend mechanisms to get around things or whether it's price reductions or other lending options that can come into the market. So innovation, increased pricing, interest rates, innovation. 
let's see how this run runs out. Love it. Mm. Any questions, Trevor? Love that. No, no. I'm. Let's hit up some of the questions that we have um, here. <clears throat> um, there was a question about negative interest rates. What are your guys' thoughts? What are the chances? It says here. What are the chances of negative interest rates? Um, I don't know. No, I don't like no. it. I don't like the odds no. of that. The, I suppose you've got to look at it, how the impact of other countries are going to come onto us because their debt levels are a lot higher than ours. Um, so I, I think that's going to be a very macro scale to see something like that come to the table, but not, I, I not, not what I can see. Yeah, I feel as though someone's looking at like the 30-day interbank um, graph where it's looking at teetering off towards the edge, um, which is essentially like the, the interest rate. Like I, I can... I can see why people might speculate and think that it could happen. Um, and this is why I suspect that it's going to bobble along, right? Like they, <laughs> it is going to be easier for, in my opinion, not financial advice for the RBA to put a 0.1 or a zero change on months than it is for them to reduce it from what I see in the outset, noting that things can change. Like that's just kind of what I see. So I, I probably concur, although I will say that uh, my greatest influencer in Australia, Dr. Philip Lowe, did say that we weren't going to have interest rates increasing until 2024, and uh, that didn't happen. So I got no idea. <laughs> it might, but I suspect not. What about this one? This is a great question. Is a 30-year fixed term something that can happen? Like well, they, they have it in the US, so it definitely can happen. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Before I answer this one, all right, Aaron, <laughs> Joe, quick question. So you guys are well-read, you're well-educated. How many of you read like Rich Dad, Poor Dad or other financial sort of property investing books from overseas and went, oh my gosh, property investment is fantastic. I can go and fix How an good. interest rate for 30 years. And then when you started doing property investments in Australia, you're like, ah, that, yeah. uh, that product yeah. doesn't exist. Capital gains tax. <laughs> what is this? I can buy a property sell it and upgrade it to a higher value property without paying tax. It's what's the four one Oh four deferral or something like that. Yeah. Ridiculous. Oh, I, I, I love, but hate um, overseas property investment books. Like I got to like pick out what I've got. Sorry, what uh, if, Aaron, what do you reckon? 30 years. What do you reckon? 30 years fixed rates. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever heard it put in Australian banking language. Uh, we, we all see and read the US stuff, but we've always got to have a mindset and a filter to filter it back into what happens in Australia. The, the lending over there is different too. The lending in Australia is fully securitized um, and it's also recourse. It's got a recourse on you. So you've got your $500,000 mortgage and you don't pay it. They're coming after you personally. That's, yes. that's how it works in Australia. So, we've, so that's, for as long as, that, that's yeah. a massive point. Can you talk to... Like the during the GFC over in the US, the whole jingle mail thing. So, do you know, do you know mm. what I'm talking about? I I do know what you're talking about. Not well educated with them hanging up their keys and stuff. At that time, I wasn't in 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 the finance game. And in the um, I started in 2012 there. Um, but yeah, it, the, the recourse versus non recourse. Um, they that's uh that's where it is so they they recourse after the property but they don't come after the person in australia they come after the property and the person and what's going to settle the debts 
Uh, and even when we talk into the lending in self-managed super fund lands where they think there's non-recourse, but it's recourse to the assets in the super, but we also, when we lend in super, we get pers- the lender gets personal guarantees to make sure that if there's any shortfall, they can get it back to from the directors. So it's um, we're, we're pretty well locked up. And that's why the banks are so strong too, because when you've got that lock on things, they everyone pays. And we've seen it in some of the, the pages of um, uh, uh, the banks where the, the, the seven-day, the 30-day, the 60-day delinquency rate is very, very small. <clears throat> so 30-year 30 30 fixed rates, I, I, don't, I don't see it on my horizon. Um, I, I don't know whether anyone's seen it out there related to anything else you're reading, but I don't see it in Australian at this point in time. It might be like a no. 15%, 20% rate. You never know. Trying to predict what's yeah. happening in 30 years. I, I concur. Yeah. I think I think it's more probable that that would extend mortgages for the fringes, like maybe like first home buyers to start off with, as they usually usually do, um, or like principal places of residence. Um, I, I see that they might push them out for like to a 40-year or a 50-year more than I see them going, hey, uh, it's going to be better for the banks to have a 30-year fixed interest rate. I just, to your, a lot of the points that you mentioned, Aaron, I just I just don't see it. Great question. Though. Very good the, question. The, I just don't see it. There is 40-year 40 40 mortgages out there already. So um, <sighs> we've got one for, a, one for a first home buyer and we've got I'm one for, um, so we call it like instead of, so down in the, if you've had some trouble with credit or you're doing some alt doc lending with basses and stuff, there are some lenders that will allow you to, in that case, extend it out to 40 years. It's a- okay. Change the game. Um, question here. Can Aaron talk through cross-collateralized <laughs> loans and the all money clauses that banks have written into the fine print when you have more than one loan with one bank? What is the danger of each? Yeah. So fully fully loaded question there um <laughs> i i love uh, the two the two things that i i love a client that comes to me that's got mum and dad as guarantor and undoing that getting releasing mum and dad because that's like a pseudo cross collateralization for the the 20 yeah. percent over and above the 80 so um i love uncrossing securities as well um i had a client come to me today that has a cross securitized nightmare that we have to uncross because you, if you want to upgrade your, if you cross your owner occupied with your investment property and the investment properties perform poorly and you go, Hey, Hey, um, Hey wife, you want to upgrade our owner occupied and you sell your owner occupied and you go, I didn't think I was going to come out with that much cash. It's just been sucked up by the investment property. So that, that's the, I thought I had that much equity. So making sure you're uncrossed is a great thing. If you're starting out investment, investment and stuff make sure it's uncrossed if you're going direct to the bank which is the most culprits that do crossing make sure they don't cross it um the other hand is the uh, more tricky one or the sinister one looking at the all money clauses now in general the bank if you're going to have trouble paying back your debt or you want to pay back your full debt they just want what you owe back to them yeah like that's that's the key to this thing they, they just want it back to you so if you owe a hundred grand and you don't want to pay it anymore, they just want it paid out and they'll let you go. So with the all money clause, it just says that they can, um, they, they just want to recoup the hundred grand. But if that property doesn't have a hundred grand in it to recoup, they, they want to recoup the hundred grand. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, recourse, non-recourse lending. Yeah. 
there's other statements we can go around. We can get even more into general security agreements, general uh, guarantees and indemnities. Um, this is an area where you, you've um, you got not just the all money clause in one bank, you've got um, a general security agreement that can go across lenders. So very interesting um, documents when you can get into that level of um, uh, conversation. So just make sure that when you get a loan, you repay it. It's a great thing to do. And don't cross where, where possible. Don't cross. So I've, I've, I've seen this before. And like for myself, the, the first thing that I'd be doing is extracting equity, like refinancing an existing property to extract equity and then just using the cash as opposed to like cross-collateralization or cross-securities. Like it just seems to be so much easier. It's like, okay, like let's yeah. not go and put something else up. It's at hard risk. though. It's hard though when the person at the bank is saying, well, I can just give you what you want and all you need to do is sign this piece of paper which costs <sighs> something, da, 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 da. don't worry about it. And then it's Negligence like, oh, okay. is not um, an excuse. Negligence is a, not yeah. an excuse. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Here's, a, here's a thing for you, Joe. If we do exactly what Grant did for a client to present them to you to buy an investment property or we presented a person that was going to cross-securitize but didn't really have much cash to go and do deposits... Who's mm. going to be the best to negotiate with? So we, we have a client that has 10% cash ready to exchange on a property and a pre-approval in place. Yeah. And we have someone that's going to cross securitize that has no cash until yeah. the settlement day. Everything. The goal of a negotiation is to make the job of everyone else easier. The real estate agent, the vendor. If you've got some cross collateral, like guarantor loans as well, like they are harder to negotiate on because they're an extra thing. Like, oh, this person can just pull out for whatever reason. Agents just want a super clear cut contract. So yeah, absolutely. If there's a cross secure size on the loan and it's only at X percentage, it's, it's going to raise some red flags and red flags aren't what you want when you're getting offers presented to vendors. So um, we think so yeah. cash is king, hey? Cash yeah. is so king. Yeah, and knowing and and that's it. Knowing your what you've taken out of equity of one house and what its effect on another house is so powerful to go. Okay, cool. I know when that investment property goes up, I can move that back onto this property, so the debt for that property stays there. And you we do pay it. down. We can do all that stuff, so we know exactly what it is. We can get into our internet banking. Another another tip for the investors: get into your internet banking. Do not have home loan, home loan, home loan, home loan put the street name, put something in there so you know exactly which properties for which loan. So you can go to a, um, if you're going fresh to a mortgage broker that does multi-property um, mm -hmm. investors, you know where the loans are all are. And if you are crossed and you want to get uncrossed, um, there's a few few nice little quick tips to be able to get you out of the uncrossing. Sometimes you can ring up and ask who's which, which properties are crossed with which. Um, and if they don't play any games, we can go down the path of putting a discharge in to actually find out what's going on. Mm. So that's another, another way we can do it. Great question that's popped up here. What yield should an investor target for in, in this current environment? I mean, it's, it's a bit tough, tough one to answer to look good to the banks. Um, the, the interesting part I find about this question is that last bit in the current environment to look good for the banks. Um, is there an ideal yield that, that the banks love the most? What does it look like? So th there are some banks that have policies around capping yields. Yeah. So not going too, too nuts on the yields. And there are banks that don't care about the yields. And there's also where we were talking before where rents, 
are taking it 80%. I think you gave me a client that had a 6% cap. You said, Joe, you need to find them a 6% rental yield. Um, And we found it. It worked. It was great. But um, (laughs) I was like, what the hell? (laughs) Okay. Challenge accepted. There you go. You just needed to needed to dig down deep. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So that was it. So it's all individualized. So what is your income? What is the yield? And um, how how is it going to work in your portfolio? Um, yeah. There's people that have the big variability of income that can hold, say, the, the 2% yields. And there's people that have more fixed income that the only variability in their income set is the property. And that... And their surplus money they can use to prop it up in an upwards interest rate environment can make it a little difficult. So it's not it's not necessarily what looks good for the lender. It's what you can afford. And it's also how you're going. It's not necessarily if you can get it approved, it's how you're going to afford it in the future because you want to set up for success, not for failure. And I'd, I'd say on top of that, uh, the first thing that I would say is like, what goal are you going for, right? So if you're going for a refinance, then obviously the easiest refinances that Aaron, you probably come up against are like cash flow properties, right? The mm. cash flow positive properties, sorry, which is like a property that is paying for itself because most banks will say, that's great. You can pay it back just off the cash flow. And now if you've got, um, and I just want to be specific for this, like if you've got a, a house in Queensland and you're getting a seven, eight, 9% gross rental yield, the fees of council rates, insurance, et cetera, are higher which means that your net rental yield is lower. But then if you're comparing that to a house that you buy in Victoria or WA or something or Western Australia, like it's going to be a lower gross rental yield, but then the cost of councils, et cetera, is going to be lower. So the thing that I would say to that is if you're going for a refinance, go off the net amount um, and then play back on what Aaron was saying, which is like your personal income and all those kind of things. If you haven't gone negative, et cetera, which is why you should talk to a mortgage broker like Aaron. But the second one is if you're looking to purchase a property um, and you're saying, well, what is the lowest interest rate? Uh, what is the lowest um, yield that I should go for on what I'm purchasing? Think about what Aaron said previously, which was the second order and third order consequences of it, right? So if you're pushing up against, I just want to buy a property, but you're leveraging all of your income and you're never going to be able to buy another one for two, three, four, five years then all that matters is that serviceability. Like, uh, what is yeah. the net rental yield? Are you going for a cash flow play? Are you going for a capital growth play? There's just so many variables in that. Um, and hopefully I've touched it's, on a couple yeah. of points that you can sort of pull a thread on uh, later for that guy it's, that asked the question. It's exactly the same as when people say, I've got a million dollars worth of borrowing capacity. Let's just go out there and buy it. Buy a million dollars worth of property. But it's like, whoa, simmer down. The goal here is to build a sustainable portfolio. If you buy a million dollars, it's probably going to be at a three or 4% rental yield. That's going to stop your portfolio in the tracks. You're not going to be able to go ahead and buy another one. But if you structure it a little bit, my goal is to buy this property and think about what the next three are. What has this property got to be to allow me to get this one, this one, and this one? Because if you don't, this is why you need a great mortgage broker and strategist um, because if you don't think about that, you're going to get stuck at one, two, three properties like a lot of people do. But if you can structure about the resources that you have on hand and where you're looking to go and actually pre-plan it, you can, you can spread that out in the best way because it's really just about 
one, optimizing capital and optimizing your, your borrowing ability and service ability. Like those are the two things. Have I got, do I need more cash or do I need more borrowing ability? So what do I, how do I balance those two? I will say one so, thing before Aaron jumps in. Hmm. The last time that Aaron said, Grant, you can go and borrow a million bucks. I did run to the wife and say, that's it. Let's go and buy some more properties. <laughs> that, was the, that was the knee jerk reaction, Joe. And then I'm like, wait, yeah. I'm responsible. Wait, was it a million dollar property? You were like, I'll buy a million dollar. Dude, I'll just, <laughs> just present me options. Just give me Load options. Me I'm in. <laughs> Load, me Load me up. So I, I would expand on this, this rental, your question to have team. So give you a, a good example of a client. Client comes, doesn't know what the next step is to, they want to buy property, don't know what the next step is. So we need to unpack the goal. Do you want, do you want this much money? Where, where do you want it? Um, I, I've, I've heard people talk about what's your, um, what's your retirement income net of your um, work expenses through to what's your passive income that you want. So when you unpack those goals a little bit, then you can give a runway. So if you're going into 2023 and you want to have another five properties by this time next year, tell your mortgage broker up front because then we can go, okay, what buffers do you have? Do you have buffers in business, buffers in personal land? Do we need to involve the accountant to be able to get those buffers out to make sure that the right amount of deposits there in a tax effective way? Do we need to make sure that we've got our school fees covered for our kids, um, a job change, uh, all that sort of stuff? That, that comes into how you play the yield because that's, that's, so if that's the only variability in your equation, you're obviously going to want a higher yield. If that's not the only variable in your equation and you can add the factor of time, it's going to help you get to that goal and mm. make, make the hairy audacious goals, but also put it in the context of what your own situation is and what you're always going to come up against with utilizing the bank's money. If you utilize the bank's money, they're going to control the rules. So, um, and, and one of those is that we can't do capital growth, but capital growth could be part of your strategy because that might help you get the next property during the course. So, if you have a goal that you want to be at in December 2023, tell people now in December 2022 so we can get the, the funky loans if it's going to go into a trust. We can get the runway to some complicated deals that may have a 20-day waiting period for evaluation. So just do the preparation and that will answer the yield question and it will answer the, how, how much income you might need to get. You might need to hit up the boss for a pay rise. I've seen applications where it's just off borderline and they come the next day, they fit up the boss for a pay rise. It's been quite fascinating watching how people prepare to get a loan, whether it's deposit mm. goals or, or income goals. Love that. Awesome. Thank you very much for sharing that. I think we are going on to the record of being one of the longest <laughs> episodes. So I do not want to take that crown from the episode, whatever that long one was. Um, I think it was just me and Jeff chatting, chatting rubbish, getting too excited. Like what we've done here not financial advice, just three blokes chatting, sipping tea. Um, but there's been some absolute dynamite and gold that you've shared, Aaron. Um, how can people learn more? How can people kind of unpick your mind a little bit about this whole mortgage side of things? Yeah, the, the, the best way to get in contact with us is you can find some great information on the website, and that's dandf.com.au. So that's diagnostics and finance. You can Google us. Um, in, in the firm, we have a team of people. We, as I mentioned before, we've got four brokers and five support staff ready to um, 
hammer out those um, strategies, plans and lending applications. And I'm um, really happy to um, have a chat and see where you can go for your next property um, restructure, hold, wherever we need to go for your individual strategy. Love that. Love that. And um, Grant, you have been a very um, informed co-host here, mate. You have actually stolen stolen the show. Um, you have had some awesome questions. Uh, where can people learn more about you and uh, the interesting stuff that you're doing in the property space? Yeah, so uh, Charlie Valor and myself have got uh, two podcasts. So you can head over to propertyandinvesting.com. Uh, that is obviously all property investor specific. And then we also have another one specific for business owners because we're both business owners and we kind of talked about all this generating wealth outside the business. So that is businessandinvesting.com. Love that. Love that. Guys, this has been an absolutely unreal episode. Thank you very much for sharing all your uh, wisdom and insights. Um, if you guys have any questions about anything, jump on to Aaron and, and Grant and um, yeah, let's wrap this thing up and Let's go buy a property. See you guys later. Hear more interviews and share your story with some of Australia's top property experts and commentators now by joining the Oz Property Investors Facebook group with over 25,000 property investors so we can all become better property investors together. Just a quick reminder that anything we covered on this podcast is not considered as financial advice. This is general information only. You need to go and speak with your qualified professionals to understand your unique circumstances as this is general advice only. If you got any value out of this podcast, feel free to recommend us to your friends and leave us a review. Thank you very much for listening and have a fantastic day. Let's go buy a property.